Yeah, Ronnie Mysterioso is here. And um, we'll get into an explanation of what's going on here after we do the uh, the normal thing. Hey, what the hell happened here? Oh, it's not on Artist. Let's try that again. Ronnie Mysterioso. interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Freddy Mysterioso here for uh, November the, uh, what is today? Sixth? Sixth of um, 011. And um, I announced yesterday and the week before, the week before that. Oh, except when Richard uh, called in because of uh, food poisoning, which he has uh, re- recovered from, that yeah. uh, Richard would be back here. And what we'd be talking about. And uh, as usual, when I have somebody in that uh, I know real well, I don't even type up a list of questions or anything. I don't, I don't think I really have to. How's your uh, microphone working there? Is it working? Yeah. Good. Yeah, we just have a, a free rambling conversation generally, but feel free to ask me anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how are you feeling after a couple weeks ago? Oh, that was fine. It was it was uh, really bad. It wasn't, I don't think it was food poisoning as much as I think it was... I reacted to something in the food because my wife and my son both had it and they didn't get sick. Uh. But I went down for a couple of days. I mean, I felt really bad. I had a bad headache. I have to, if you have not uh, heard of or heard uh, Richard Saraday before, he's on one of the other shows here uh, that's posted on the site. Um, he co-hosts, are you still co-hosting with Dawn? Uh, uh, yeah, Dark I do Matters? the Friday Night Dark Matters. When we do a live show, we haven't done one in quite a while because uh, uh, the problem with the reliability of the broadcast equipment Don's using. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, kind of like here. Yeah. So, and now I guess straightened out. Ooh, I like that. I feel resonance. Yeah. I, I gave you a little bit of bass. I got to give myself a little bit more because you have a nice actor voice. <laughs> And um, sometime in 92 or 3 is when I first met Richard when he, um, I don't know if you somehow picked up a copy of the zine I was doing at the time or 
I don't know how we got in touch with each other, but I came over to your house and we yeah, talked. Yeah, I, f- I found. We've been talking uh, since then, just about. Right, I found excluded middle. Yeah. The the, the zine. Yeah. And uh, read it and went, loved it, and then I saw inside how to contact. Uh, I think you or Robert Larson uh, or Peter Stenshaw. I, mean, I reached Peter. I reached yeah, Peter. It was Peter. Right. And uh, we got together first and uh, chatted about it, and then I met you with with Peter. Right. Yeah. What's Peter doing these days? He is the head engineer at KPCC in Pasadena. Ah. And I'm trying to um, work him for uh, an in there to try to get some work. Well, that should help. You know, it always helps in this town. you got to have a connection. Yeah. That's the only way I've ever... I think I've gotten two jobs the whole time I've lived here just by going in and applying for them. (laughs) But then, then of course, they go talk to people I used to work with or people that I work with are there already. Yeah. And I didn't know it. It's like, oh, wow, I haven't seen you in like five years. Yeah. So I never make enemies with anyone. (laughs) In this town, you can't afford to. Well, at all, you know, but especially here. Yeah. You find out because you just keep going places and, you know, you... You could want to stick a knife in somebody's throat, but you don't make enemies with them. No, no. You never know when it's coming back. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Unless uh, they're just truly nasty people, but I haven't met too many of those people. And then you just avoid them and, you you know, well, that's the same thing. You don't make an enemy. You just avoid them. You just avoid them, right? You stay low profile. But, you know, you can't help it when you work in a business. You work with a lot of different people. You know, as an actor, you sure do. You work with a lot of different talent. Yeah, people may not know Richard was an actor for many, 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 many years. Yes, many, many. And uh, do you want to to toot your horn about that? No, no, that's it. That was another life, you know. I mean, it was this life, but another phase of this life. A a fairly well-known actor you can look him up. Yeah, fairly (laughs) (laughs) well-known. You know, more often... I did so many commercials. Uh, it was amazing to me in the eighties. I mean, you I'm showed really, me some of them. Yeah, I mean, I have a masters of, t- of, of you know never been seen. Yeah, and stuff. But that, that, that's where the real steady income came from through the eighties. It was not all the guest starring appearances on you know different TV shows. It really was the steady flow of residuals. You know, from yeah. Bud Light or American Express or all I saw one that was for like Save On oh, Pharmacy oh, would, or hey, something. No, it, was, yeah. it was. Let me correct you. Uh, that was in the old days of uh, Thrifty. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I was their spokesman. Yeah. And every Christmas, uh, about a month before Christmas, uh, Chuck Bloor would come to me and say, "Hey, I got some spots. Uh, I want you to come do them for me." I didn't. Have, I didn't have an audition for him after a while. Oh, good. I'd go in and do four spots before noon. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And you, you that would be like half your food for the next year. Yeah, you know, it'd be like beautiful. And he liked it because I know I can get a first take with Rich. I can get through four in the morning. I can do it with no almost nobody. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that that's it. to to get relationships again. You know. Yeah, yeah. Of and course. Uh, if you, why do you think um, you know why do you, why do you think all these directors and everybody always have the same people yeah, on their crew, they, the same DP, the same producer, the same because they can count on them and they know what they're about. Right. So. Good working relationship. And it's yeah, it's that way with anything. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, that's that's where Richard was coming from when I met him, but he was just uh, starting to be interested more heavily. In the weird stuff, and specifically, you were working with or for or something with uh, Don uh, with, with uh, uh, Vicky Cooper at the time. Well, what it, what it was? They weren't married yet. They weren't married yet. Yeah. No, uh, but what had happened is I'd I've been delving into this stuff since about uh, I mean, getting back into it heavily since about eighty eighty eight. Probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, about the same time I got interested in it yeah, again after many years of not right exactly. 
I don't know why, but that's where it worked out. And uh, I started reading UFO books, and then I started picking up UFO magazines, and there was a British one, and there was the American one, and I noticed inside the front cover that was published right here in Sunland, which is, you know, right down here. Yeah. And so when I, it's funny, I was talking to my wife about making a transition from acting to, uh, you know, developing properties, you know, trying yeah. to sell, produce and sell properties. And I'd taken a class in that, and then... So I was starting to read scripts or books to be converted and looking for something worth doing. And I did a couple of those. And then by the same time, I was getting this renewed interest in the UFO phenomena. And I started picking up books. And my wife noticed when you know we go to bed at night, we'd both lay there and read. I'm now always reading UFO books. She said, honey, what about the developing those properties? And I said, <laughs> well, 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 I am. Well, you're just reading all those UFO books and having to have a comeback yeah. <laughs> in the moment. Well, well, that's yeah. what I'm going to do. I'm going to. Well, that's a, that's the a property I'm interested in. Right, that's the property I'm interested in developing. She went, oh, and I'm, okay, good. I'm covered. I can still read them. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, I did approach. Uh, I called, you know, uh, Don and Vicky, and uh, they arranged to meet me at the nearby uh, little breakfast place they hang out, and. Uh, uh, Don was there, and, we, and Don and I formed a partnership. We called it R&D Productions, Rich and Don. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I began living at their house, literally going there every morning about 8.30 yeah. and staying there till sometime at 7.30 o'clock at night. Uh, there was always so much going on. I was trying to get Don's undivided attention, but there's no such thing when he's at the magazine because the phone's always ringing. People are walking through the door. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Especially that period. It was crazy. It was very, it was, but it was a wonderful education. When they had that storefront, you mean? Before that, when they were on Leo Lang in their house. Oh, know, okay. Because uh, uh, remember that storefront on Sunland? Or whatever yeah. that meaning is. That yeah, it was Sunland on Sunland, Boulevard? right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they moved there eventually and took it out of the house, but for a long time it was right out of the house. I remember helping him, uh, you know, when the magazines was, got was printed. Was Sherry Stark doing the graphics still? Uh, I think Sherry, yeah. Sherry yeah. was still involved. This is back, you know, yeah. way back. Uh, yeah, because they only started in, what, like 84 or 5 or something? I think so. When they were at, when Vicky, I think, was out of, like, journalism school. Yeah, well, she she had been working uh, with uh, Sherry. They were publishing some kind of little local promotion thing. Uh, it was a paid gig, you know, for Century City in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess uh, to, between them, they came up with the idea of coming up with UFO magazine. Yeah, I remember and the Vicky first was, issue. It yeah, had a she, dolphin on it. Right. She was much more interested in the uh, those aspects of it, the you know, the, this metaphysical aspects was, what I think, what attracted Vicky initially to UFOs. Yeah. Uh, and then she met up with Don, you know, and... Uh, that was like five or six years later, I think, they were yeah, doing the magazine. Right, yeah. It was, it was and Don came later. on the scene like 89 or right, 90 or exactly. something. exactly. Or maybe 88, because he was at the Bill Moore thing in right, 89. Right, I think it was 88, and then he became the research director for the magazine. Right. You know? And uh, so I, we were, I was you know, working with Don all the time, trying to put together, being around the office, watching him work, looking for things. Don saying, you know, he you ought to read this. And I'd pick it up and read it. And I remember he gave me Gods of Eden. And I, hmm, that's a different point of view. Yeah. He, you know, he gave me Genesis. Hmm, Nazis. That's a different point of view. Yeah. And he just kept, and he gave, then, of course, he gave me Messengers of Deception. Right. And uh, Vicky Don, was, had you read Messengers of Deception? Uh, it was he or Vicky. But I, once I, I picked can't. Up, I can't see Don recommending Messengers of Deception no, he did. then. Now I could. Yeah. Uh, he did then. He also recommended uh, the Mothman prophecies. Oh, know? well, of course. Uh, but for me, it was like really broadening my yeah. take on the subject. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, uh, uh, and Valet, of course, I found very interesting. I was reading him already. I'd been getting his books from because you could get them in. He was a big enough name where they, you know, they were stocked places. I got yeah. dimensions and confrontations and revelations. You know? And I read um, 
course communion and then report on communion and I was reading the incident uh, at Copley Woods and the, uh, the early Hopkins books back then and Ray, yeah. F- Ray Fowler's work yeah uh, uh, that was a whole new thing when it's talking about actually not the craft but the occupants <laughs> right somebody just commented recently on uh, I put up something about Charles Hickson and how he because um, he died recently and I like I remembered well the guy actually was a repeat contactee he was sort of. i didn't know that he you know the famous incident happened yeah. in 77 or whatever it was and then about five four or five months later he was out hunting in the woods and he said he saw the same craft just hovering in the woods like 100 feet from him and he was like hmm. what the hell and he said there was a message in his head that said um you know you will be contacted like this typical thing same old stuff huh? yeah and then he said it disappeared. He wasn't sure how it did. He didn't know if it took off or what. Then about two or three months after that, he was his dog started barking at about 11 at night. And he went outside and he said there was some there was a light or something. But it, when he went outside, it disappeared or he couldn't see it. And he got that message again. Same kind of a message hmm. in his head. And then a few months after that, maybe a year after the incident, they were driving home from a Thanksgiving dinner, and his wife and his and a, uh, one of his kids and a bunch of his relatives were in the car with him, and they all saw what he saw. Mm-hmm. He claimed. So this is you know, you know that two uh, at least, and and maybe three or four, the same thing. And I said, you know, maybe this this too bad he's not alive anymore, but the case is you know ripe for reexamination. And the um this guy uh, this guy from uh, Mexico City, Red Pill Junkie. He came on and he said, well, you know, people didn't even accept. Mm-hmm. I mean, researchers wouldn't accept a lot of these things for a long time. Right. There'd, there'd be the, you know, um, uh, there'd be sightings. Oh, there were landings. No, there's no such thing. No, you know, right. um, uh, NICAP would not accept landing cases. And then they wouldn't accept occupant cases. And then the big groups didn't accept abduction cases. And then it just keeps going. The phenomenon keeps jumping ahead and doing some other weird <laughs> thing. Or people's perception of it keeps jumping ahead and doing some weird thing that the rank and file will not accept. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed that. The, you know, He yeah. pointed this out. And it's like, yeah, you're exactly right. Remember when flying saucer occupants came out? Yeah. APRO put that out. And it was a big thing at the point. Oh, at that yeah. point. It was like, these guys are insane. How can they even be publicizing these like 300 cases they have in their book you know it was it was like this you know the elephant in the room and i don't know what what it is now i don't know what the elephant in the room is well you know the the curious thing is none of it's gone away i mean it's no. still happening and it's happening. still happening contacts are still yeah. happening uh bizarre uh, uh mib experiences are still yeah. happening go, go to the humanoid um there's a thing called the humanoid uh contact uh uh, database or something like that. If you go to UFO Mystic and top, type in humanoid database or humanoid contact, the guy's still listing them every month. They come in, and they're still going on. Yeah, you know. So again, it and goes it's back not, to that uh, thing about valet. It's kind of ten percent of with it us. is you alien grays. The rest of it is everything else. <laughs> everything under the sun. <laughs> Shadow people, uh, dwarfs. Uh, what? A guy flying over uh, part of Poland that looked like Superman. <laughs> Why would anybody, I guess they could try and make that up, but apparently more than a few people saw it. It looked like a guy standing, not flying like Superman, but just standing straight up with a cape floating <laughs> through the air, <laughs> high up in the sky. Stuff like this, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the that kind you, of stuff makes, still makes me happy and keeps me I interested. I do, because yeah. it, the more you know, the more you don't know. 
Yeah. You know, it's sort of like what you have to do is just kind of accept it, yeah. you know, and uh, let it flow from there. You know, it's like uh, I don't think anybody's going to prove or disprove, you know. Uh, not anytime soon. Not no. anytime soon. I mean, uh, I think something uh, I read in the formula today, uh, the, the trained observer I mentioned to you before who posted in the Paracast, a friend of mine, uh, had said, you know, <laughs> Probably, if it comes out, it will, it'll come out because it was like a, a wardrobe mishap. I mean, you know, in other words, it'll happen completely. Uh, they'll screw up and get, get get caught. You know, <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen because they're going to say, "Okay, now we're going to explain to you this whole game we've been playing." You know, yeah, it'll be more like, "Oops, we we we, oh, we forgot to put the cloaking device on," or you know, <laughs> "Oops, forgot to fill the fuel tank, and now we can't take off," or something. It'll be like that. You know, it'll be something where somebody yeah. screws up. I don't, th- yeah, I just, because it's been going on for so long, it's not a thing of somebody screwing up. It's, well, I've been pushing like this for, a, yeah, I've been pushing this for months and months now, maybe years. The interaction is what's going on, not not this mechanistic, right. something flies in from somewhere, lands it. No, I think we're interacting with it, and we're contributing. We're co-creating. Way, yeah, we're way more than half of what's Absolutely. going on. Absolutely, uh, I've joined this uh, Tuesday night, uh, and it's not our fault. No, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, I, I think it's as much a part of, re, of our reality today as it was a hundred years ago, or five hundred yeah. years ago, a thousand years ago, ten thousand yeah. years ago. I think it's, I think it's a very rich topic, and it's kind of you would say, where is it going? The conversation going? It's going in those directions. I think. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Well, it is for me. I know. Uh, so yeah, there's a few people doing it, and they're here and there, and they're usually people commenting on these lists that, you know, you wish they would. Yeah, you know, really, really come out and do something big on it. And the only person I know that's sort of in that same groove right now is Micah Hanks, who I, he wrote something recently on uh, who? Micah Hanks. Micah Hanks. Yeah. He's in North Carolina. Yeah, uh, and he's he just interviewed a physicist who's kind of a artist too, and they talked about Mactoni's theories and. God, I can't remember the name of the show or what they exactly talked about, but basically it was using the latest physics, transhumanism, postmodern theory, and applying it to the UFO and the paranormal, Mm -hmm. and trying to and this co-creation thing thing I think did come up. I really have to go to the bathroom, Richard. You want you want you want a monologue for about thirty seconds? Yeah, I I could do that. Uh, um, (laughs) I I, I could I could do uh, Hamlet if you'd like. Uh, Okay. To be or not to be. Okay, just a sec. That is the question. Whether he's laughing at my Hamlet, I love it. Whether it is noble in mind to suffer the slings and arrows and discs and flying pancakes of outrageous fortune, or to take arms. Or put up a light, if you're Stephen Greer, against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, reveal them. Aye. To die, to sleep, to sleep, for chance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. Are all abductions merely dreams? Are we merely dreams? Are we co-creating it? I don't know. Shakespeare did this better than I do, I think. Um, I guess this would be the new Shakespeare. To giant dream, aye, there's the rub. For in that dream of death, what dreams may sleep of death, what dreams may come, must give us pause. <laughs> That's perfect. No, very good, very good. Uh, you, you'll probably get some complaints. 
I don't care. No, I won't. <laughs> I was in there. I was thinking, you know, the, the father saying, why didn't you do this when we were... <laughs> why did you drink so much tea? Yeah. We're not stopping. We're not stopping. <laughs> you use a stadium, buddy. Are we there yet? Are yeah. we there yet? No, we're not stopping. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about the interaction. Yeah, the co-creating aspect of it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was about to mention that I've, I've, I've been going for the last several weeks. I got invited to a, uh, a Tuesday night kind of salon group that meets way out in Malibu. Uh, it's run by Lee McCloskey. And I, anybody who's listening, you might want to look him up. L-E-I-G-H McCloskey, M-C-K-L-O-S-K-E-Y. He is, uh, by the way, ex-actor also. Uh, but he's also a very, very uh, well-informed, highly educated, brilliant guy who's really interested in, and he's an artist, uh, phenomenal. Uh, we meet at, in this upstairs room at his house, uh, way out, way out past Zuma, right? And it's oh, an older okay. house, kind of a two-story ranch style, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hit the stairway, you come into the main room, you know, downstairs in the kitchen, and there's a stairway. And the moment you hit the stairway, it's things are starting to be painted. And you go up the stairs, and the entire upstairs room, which is about oh forty by twenty. Is and with floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, some little nooks where a hallway turns and like that. But it's a big, big room with a with a big pointed ceiling. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's all painted in one continuous, insane uh, mural, archetypal mural of acrylics. That's and you, if you go early before the meeting, he will take you on a tour and explain to you. And it's very uh, Jungian. Uh, uh, I Ching uh, tarot, you know, he wrote a book on the tarot, re, re something, tarot re. Anyway, he's a very talented artist. And what are you guys talking about? Well, what they're doing, I was about two weeks ago, what, what they do is that they've been reading, the, they read a book and they read a chapter and discuss it. They've been, oh, okay, okay. They've been reading Carl uh, um, Jung's uh, Man and the Symbols. Uh, when I got there, they were oh, near the yeah, end. Yeah. And, where they were analyzing one of Jung's patients was was being analyzed by Jung, a guy named Henry, in his dreams, you know. Uh, and then we read his section, and then it kind of leads to discussion. And uh, he's very much into the transcendentals right now, too, so we're going to start reading Emerson very shortly, you know. Uh, I haven't read Emerson in, oh God, that's high school. I mean, that's a long, yeah. long time. Yeah, me too. But uh, very, very interesting, I mean, because it has a lot to do with co-creation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and how much of this stuff. And people were telling little anecdotes. There's an interesting crowd that comes, anywhere from, like, I'd say 35 to 75, you know, but they're mm. all very, uh, there's a psychoanalyst there who does Jungian things. Like there's a whole representative artists, you know, you know writers, yeah. actors, uh, yeah. you know, and, and very stimulating conversation. Right. But he's very much into this uh, this whole idea that we are, course co-creators at all times and synchronicity uh, mean co-creators of of our experience meaning between the between the external world the world that's external to our minds not co-creators like you and i sitting here but th- that enters into it too but when i talk about co-creation with the with the paranormal i mean whatever it is that is that in uh, in inciting factor um and how that manifests and then our perception of it and what we want it to be and what we expect it to be and maybe well, there's a little bit of control going on there too from exactly. the other side but what I'm saying is that so we're on the same thread in other words 
the, whatever this intelligence is, whatever this source of this, uh, the, and this is not probably the only source of things we see in the sky, but yeah. one we're talking about that seems to have this sort of tricksterous element, to borrow O'Brien's word, yeah. this interactive element, the idea that it, what it shows up as, how it shows up, is directly related to what it perceives about you in the moment and how it wants to address you in that moment. Yeah. And in, in that sense, it's kind of playing with you. You become part of the, you can't just be the observer. Yeah. You become part of the drama. You know that from if you've done UFO investigations, it can. In my experience, you suddenly find yourself quickly no longer the reporter, but the interactor. Yeah. You know, and it lets you know that uh, the phenomenon lets you know that you're now in the game too. You know. Yeah. Uh, so whatever still, that is, I'm, that, that I'm veering towards something like ninety, ninety-five percent us, and, and, it's and five to ten percent the other thing. But yeah, and that other thing has to have a, a mechanism or a process through which right. it, it, right. it it does that, and that's that's. I think we got it. I think we've got it built in, and it's ready to go. That's the thing. We we actually do. I think, and I think uh, um, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time we don't we don't we're not in touch with ourselves to, to that level there have been times yeah. in my life when I, I know I'm not well I know there have been times like when I was first uh, working very heavily with, with, with the guru I visited Dalaji yeah. back in yeah. the mid 70s yeah. you know that uh, I, I got to that kind of edge where my thinking and what was happening in front of me in the world was was, was so immediate it was it was almost uh, fri- it was it was a little bit frightening yeah uh, because suddenly you watch what you think and you watch what you say because it's going to show up in front of you in, in the next ah. few minutes and yet literally and uh, I kind of backed off from it a little bit because I found that uh, I wasn't sure I was ready to enter into a world that could be that fluid yeah. <laughs> you know on a daily basis and, and still function and try to have a career. But uh, yeah, that, that is a very it's something you know. It's hard to describe these things because they're experiential. But when you're in that state of mind, when whatever combination of, of, of things I went through at the time that opened my mind uh, to that extent, it was really uh, amazingly the world was very open to me, and people were very open to me in the sense that uh, I could receive them almost immediately a whole lot of information about them, you know, just instantaneously, and then react to it instantaneously. And usually be a little bit ahead of the actual time, the time lag for it to actually happen. It was a strange time. It lasted for a while. Humanoid sighting reports and Journal of Humanoid Studies run by Albert Rosales. Rosales, yeah. R-O-S-A-L-E-S. Okay. Yeah. Wanted to get it right. Got it. Um, Anyway, that, uh, there is, I think, I don't think you, and, and let's put it this way, and I think you'd agree with me here. As in 1492, uh, I don't think that, I don't think these uh, manifestations were looking like they're looking today. Oh no, no, of course not. I wouldn't think so at all. It's, which is why when people say, "Look, here's a," I was rereading the thing I did about Renaissance paintings and the UFOs in them, and how I thought that the Renaissance paintings, at least, they were mostly explained. And people got so irritated with me. Oh, what do you mean? Obviously, it looks like a UFO. So it's you know you're gonna you're gonna tell me that's not a UFO. And I and I could not get to the point with people <laughs> where I said, for one thing, I'm only talking about Renaissance paintings. And they said, so every piece of art that's like, no, we're just talking. About. And then on top of that, how can you say that's not a UFO when that's exactly what it looks like? And it's like, how do you know? I mean, I could not explain to people. Right. How do you know, how can you put yourself in the mindset of somebody in that era, what they were looking at, what they were told to do, 
and how they perceive things to think that they're, you know, because for one thing, yeah, okay, a tree's going to look like a tree. I mean, somebody draws a tree today, it's pretty much going to look like a tree that, that Botticelli drew. But what about something you have no, that's not there all the time? Well, and, uh, and it's probably affecting your brain as much as, you know, you are affecting the experience. How do you know that? Well, it's like that painting with the, uh, the with, with, uh, it looks like, you know, a, a Renaissance painting. And uh, there's Godfather, the God figure, and I think the Jesus figure. And then there's this big round ball. Oh, yeah, and it has uh, two things coming. It looks like a Sputnik. Yeah. But uh, Jesus and the Lord or whoever are both holding on the... Right. Yeah, it was a symbol for something. It wasn't a satellite or something. We just think that's what it looks like. Oh, look, it's a UFO. It's a satellite. Well, but within the archetypal relevance of its time, these, these... these kind of globes were an archetypal symbol of, of yes, of, of wholeness stuff, or, or wholeness or, or you know the universe or the earth and the deity's um, interaction and control, etc., with right. that orb, yeah. which represented us and our world. So they're it, it, they're outside that world. That's just their little measuring things touching us. At least that's the impression I get from yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of ways see that. Now those uh, those woodcuts uh, of. Nuremberg, no, Nuremberg, and uh, the other town in Switzerland. Those two, Basel, Basel, right? Yeah. That's more provocative and interesting. Yeah, it is to me too because w- you, you've got you've got spheres. yeah you've you've got um, uh, documents of the time describing what it was. Yeah, it wasn't just oh we see this thing in the sky and it's it shining a light this, down yeah, to Mary. No, it's it's uh, it's people that said we saw this thing and this is what we saw and somebody who is uh, trying to illustrate this has got to... I don't know if the person that illustrated it actually saw it or they were relying on the descriptions of people at the time, but that's it's close to them. And what could they say? It's a flaming log. <laughs> you know, that's the closest thing they could yeah. describe it as. So what did they see in the sky was a flaming log. And we would have said a cigar-shaped thing shooting, you know. Yeah, I don't right. think they had cigars and in Nuremberg in, in 1534. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I also find it interesting that, you know, what Kenneth Arnold described uh, when he said, uh, like, a saucer skipping on a water was not the shape, but the bouncing. Yeah, it was and the yet, movement. before we know it, we're seeing circular discs everywhere after that, you know? Yeah. When actually what he described was more like a wedge, you know, more like a... Uh, it was a chevron shape. Yeah, chevron shape. Or kind of like a um, like a bat wing almost. It had those curves. It was rounded and yeah. then it had scoops out of the back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way he describes it, and they were kind of following the curvature of the mountains, very close to the mountains, yeah. which made him describe it as kind of bouncing like a, a saucer would be skipped across water. Yeah. If he had called it like skipping a rock across the water, we'd be calling them flying rocks. Oh, look, there's a flying rock. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think or that it was a shell. Like it was a flying shell. Look, just yeah. like a flying shell. Well, it, uh, some people listening to this now or later on the podcast are going to be saying, "Well, you know, it was just a convention." He was just saying, you know, people do see saucer. But I, I agree with you. I would argue that the language is going to, um, what's that called, capitulate. The language is going to affect how we see, how we see, how we see something we have no reference for because it, it right. immediately gives us a handle to hang on to. Well, I've really found that to be true in a way. We, you know, when you you're confronted with something that you, you can't, for whatever reason, you just woke up, whatever, or you can't <laughs> quite, uh, you, you see it, but you don't know, you don't know what it is. Yeah. And in that moment when you see something, you don't know what it is. That's a very interesting moment, right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you realize you're reaching to explain, yeah. to define something. Uh, to give it a place in your reality. It's got to have a yeah. place in your reality. 
You know, that's, I think that's what, you know, just a, uh, like an insight into what we're doing constantly at a million times a second, you know, yeah. uh, to perceive and have a place to put what the, the things that you're receiving, yeah. perceiving into a place. And that it all sort of like fits together, your schema, as we call it in, yeah. in teaching, you know, the schema, your view of the world. And as you're exposed to new information, it, you know, it causes these kind of... It's, uh, yeah, it starts to mold a little bit differently. The, yeah, and, it, and if you're something new comes to your schema, the whole schema has to kind of r- like move over and make room for me. It's got to make room for something and incorporate little by little. Yeah. When something comes to your schema that you can't fit in right away... It can have some very sharp edges on your experience and on your consciousness, you know. Well, your what it does is, I think, is your consciousness is going, "We're going to put this. We're going to put yeah. this." Before you're even aware that it's saying, "Where am I going to put this?" There's a section which um, I've hammered on with people for a long time. It's in Joe McMonigle's first book. It's called "Perception as a Function of Time," and he's got mm. he's got a little chart not a chart but he's got a list of times like point oh 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 one second you know something enters our our awareness you know point oh 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 one second we start to make a decision about what it might be you know point oh oh one second our our subconscious starts to put it into a box point one second satisfied that we've got the uh, you know it, it you know mm-hmm, it, right. it starts to enter our consciousness as something that we actually see and can perceive and then you know at time one second, we've already got it actually less than that, probably at point at a tenth of a second, we've decided what it is and stuck it in our place in the mind where it belongs and then go on to the next thing. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about... Before we're even consciously aware of that. It's of all that. before it becomes conscious, right? Yeah. Well, then I have, uh, scientists have proven, in fact, I saw a great documentary on this, this, this uh, mathematician going to try to understand what is consciousness. And so he interviewed different experiments being done by different people in different parts of the world, some very interesting experiments. Uh, one one experiment involved uh, um, seeing what areas of the brain light up when different activities are happening, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And uh, w- one thing, one, how does consciousness show up in the brain? And what they found that uh, consciousness is not uh, that state of consciousness is not localized in the brain, but it is characterized by information. And parts of the brain all lighting up together so that mm. you build consciousness. It's like a cascade of events uh, and structures that come together to form what we call consciousness. And th- it's interesting because you can see how the idea of uh, artificial intelligence would, would, would share that same sort mm. of feature. Mm. Uh, at what point does the amount of information flowing through the, through the uh, processor uh, achieve awareness that it's information flowing through a processor? Yeah. Oh no, that's uh that's an idea. Here's the siren just to let you know you're listening to Radio Mysterioso. Um that's a that is a I hope they're not coming to catch the thieves that are breaking into my new car. <laughs> no, it's a fire truck, so your car's probably on fire. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that's okay. I got the uh, <laughs> There is a discussion that's been going on for I can't remember what it's called. Um I I had an interview with Mac Tonys I was listening to recently um as I was working on something else. And he said there's a something called the the Turing test based on the the uh, research and ideas of a British scientist named I think it's Fred Turing T U R I N G yeah but his um, definition is if you're talking to a machine and you can't tell whether it's human or machine then for all purposes it's got consciousness mm-hmm. as far as you're concerned. In fact, I mean, if the conversation goes on for two or three hours and a reasonably intelligent person can't tell that it's not a computer on the other end of the line typing in those responses, 
has it achieved consciousness and what it, you know what's your definition of that right and what is your definition of a of a consciousness something that's self-aware or that you know i i, I I'm glad you asked me that question because I've been asking myself the same question. I don't really have an answer to, uh, that, I, that, I, that I'm satisfied with yet. Uh, I'm more like I ask the question and I watch myself and see if I can discover something about it little by little, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, you, you, do you do that? Uh, so, like, let yeah. come my mind. I think so. I, sometimes more, you hold more it in your mind, mind for like years. I, yeah, I try to... I try to keep a check on myself all the time about why did I think that or why did yeah. I say that or, you know, am I saying this because I feel personally, you know, uh, yeah, you do do threatened yeah, or right. whatever it is. I mean, I, I I think I'm trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, is, is that's that consciousness? I don't know. I, I don't think I think that, you know, this goes into uh, Kant's questions uh, that he had, too, is mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the fact that you're thinking implies a thinker. Yeah. So that must be me. I'm the thinker. I think. Therefore, I am. Whatever I am is, is the one that says I think I'm because I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to start arguing about Descartes. But, yeah, uh, because... Uh, I remember writing in college and I thought thinking Descartes was an idiot. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I've then gone, that was I, in college where I thought you, but know, I go you back think you know everything. I go back and forth on it. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like... It's all like looking through, through two ends of a telescope, you know, macro, micro in a way as far yeah. as looking at... Now, the, the more reduction of science question would be, is the brain the complete repository of the mind? Mm. You know, if yeah. There, oh, if, that, well, if, of course, that's a big question. And that is, that is the question. You know, yeah. is the brain, uh, when the brain's activity ceases, as far as us, we're no longer yeah. Greg or no longer Richard, uh, there's no more brain activity, we're just a, a, you know, a bunch of chemical processes going on as far as, as, as feeling like a person. Yeah, goes right. Um, I'm going to talk about brain dead. I mean, you know, whatever you are, you're not the person that was here before the brain dead happened. Yeah. Now, is there something uh, in the? There's something that is captured uh, of the consciousness that is using or works through or in- interacts through the brain, or is the brain the mind? You know, the fact that there's a thing uh, that philosophers talk about called quale, which is the, your subjective experience of, of yourself and of the, of the world, right? Your quale. And that is wide open in the sense that we all have different subjective things that have meaning to us in the world, you know, um, which cannot be dismissed, and some good arguments made for this, you cannot dismiss it as being any less of value than, you know, something which is producible and reproducible. It's your subjective meaning of the world. Like, what's the color red mean and feel like to you in, in a particular context? Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to me, that the fact that we both have the same chroma uh, scale in our eyeballs with that receives information, then somewhere in the processor behind our eyeballs, as it moves on the optic nerve, right? Yeah. That has to be registered as the, that wavelength is the color red the color red feels a certain way right has certain associations with it right yeah if we're all entrained the same way some of the the uh, you know the degrees between uh definitions are going to be the same with us so at least we yeah you know the consciousness or whatever it is is starting off supposedly you hope from the same uh, baseline close enough like what color is this windsock on my microphone yeah, well, we're just what, talking about yeah, what it. What color I mean, is it? It's in it's in the category of red. Yeah. So, and I, I, when I look at it, I would say it's in the category of red, and we're both independently looking at it. But we come, we share enough in common about it where I think we're both seeing the same color, right? right? Probably right. within yeah. Some, 
So we, we but, now but if, I, if I were blind, if I close my eyes, thing. right? I, I, what does red mean to somebody blind from birth? I mean, I close my eyes and I, I, I can know the windsock by touching it. Yeah. Right. And feeling its texture, I can know it. Um, I can take it off and see. Oh yeah, when I put it on the microphone, it makes a difference in the sound. But as far as experiencing the color red, if I were blind from birth, would that have any meaning to me whatsoever or to you whatsoever? If somebody said, yeah, well, of course he, he's got a red sock on his microphone, and you were blind from birth, okay. All right, yeah. okay, you know, I, that's fine. I have no idea what that is. Uh, I know that you tell me the stop signs are red, so it's got the same color as the stop signs have. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you wouldn't know what red is. You wouldn't know the experience of red, and you sure wouldn't have any emotional attachment uh, to it. Right. Right, unless you like the sound of the word red. You I... Know. And I might have an association to sound red. Sort of getting back to the subject, and we will get to the intelligence stuff. You say that, and I start thinking about, I think people have asked the question, have there been anomalous encounters of people who are blind? Like Somebody asked that question a while And I think think Carla told me once that there have been. Yes, it was Carla Turner, and... uh, well, and it's Richard, cases. actually, I think you did. You introduce me to Carla, or did I? I, I can't I, remember. I, I I didn't directly introduce you, but I I, I you, arranged you, for her to take your call. Right, and you you took it further. You actually went and visited her. I went to stay with her, and that was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whew, that was stuff happening around that girl. Let me tell you. Yeah. Let me tell you, that was really bizarre. Yeah. I, I it, not to be um, Fox News about it, but can you give an example? Well, I'm, I'm, I've told the story about um, you know when they picked me up at the airport. Uh, I'm going to have Rock. one of my cookies. You go ahead. Yeah, and and Little Roxy and her husband. No beer this time. Cookies. And Jesus. we. <laughs> yeah, where's the coffee? I'm like I need it. I got to sleep tonight. I got to work tomorrow. But right now, I want coffee. <laughs> Later, I want to sleep. Maybe I'll sleep now instead. Okay. Okay. Keep right, talking, I'm, I'm though. Back. Uh, anyway, so, you know, Carla, the weekend was Carla. It was the weekend of the uh, Eureka Springs um, uh, UFO thing sometime in the early spring up in northern Arkansas, which is... What the, year? Uh, I would guess this to 93, be... 93, 4? Yeah, 90, maybe 90... Maybe later. 4. Mm-hmm. 94, 95. Uh, it was when first... Uh, it was the first conference that... What's her name? Cito's friends. The uh, Leah Haley. Leah Haley. At least um, as she's known to the uh, greater community. Yeah. Uh, that, all, that all goes back to early my younger days, too, when that whole case was on, on, on the table. Uh, and that woman who lived up in the foothills who uh, thought Mike was somehow involved with the activity of being against her, the helicopters over her house. and huh? uh, oh, You know, I'm thinking about uh, okay. I know who you're talking yeah. about. Anyway. But not to get too far afield from Eureka Springs. That was the weekend, right? So I got in, and we had. Uh, I spent the first night there. We went to Eureka Springs the next day on Saturday. Uh, we drove north. It was cold up there, and snowy. You know. And uh, the conference was all day Saturday uh, and into Sunday, and then we drove back. And I spent another night at a house, and then on Monday I left. So I was there in a house two days. And the day before we left, the day we got back, two nights, the first night and the last night. Mm-hmm. First night there, I'm going to stay in the guest room. She had, you know, when she wrote, uh, when Carl Turner wrote Into the Fringe, she was living outside of Denton, Texas, and teaching at uh, North Texas State. Uh, she taught uh, in the English department. She had a PhD right. in, in English, in, yeah. in old English literature. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, she had, because of all this, this whole journey that she and her family were going through and started on it, which started out in Denton, you know, with uh, 
weird things happening and uh, for her husband and then they eventually the story of how they moved to outside little rock is is so bizarre this it is involves well, i guess you want to call mibs but these these two figures old people showing up on her front porch oh she didn't tell me about this she just told me about the criteria that they had for moving there but she didn't tell me how she got it well it's too strange but actually the, the two it looked like she said, for all constant purpose, they were dead people. They were cold. They were gaunt. But they were in beat-up old clothes. And they knocked on the door. And they invited themselves in and knew all about her and her husband and told them, you know, that they were from some other dimension and that this is what she had to do, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they, I think they, part of their move was trying to escape all that. But then they found themselves right back on like that's what these people had in mind all along was moving them. They didn't really realize at the time because later it comes out that that's kind of like, you know. And when know. you got there, you realized why they had moved there because it was like a, a nexus for something. Well, yeah, uh, I guess they found out because they were living outside of Little Rock. They had quite a, you know, quite a forested property. Uh, yeah. And they built a house on it and built a separate house for uh, uh, her husband's mother on the grounds, you know. Oh, okay. A little, little bit. Not right next to the main house, but not she, too far away. Yeah, she used to tell, describe it a little bit. Yeah, to me, and a long like, driveway through, mm-hmm. through through the pines to get down to where the, the, the house cleared the you know the area for the the house and the and the mother in law house, and then it cleared it behind the house and sloped down. That was cleared for a backyard. There was some tree stumps cut there. They cleared an area of, you know maybe uh, oh by oh sixty by uh, sixty by about eighty or ninety feet of the trees, you know and. But it was interesting because they had talked about a craft coming down right there, right? And the, the backyard sloped down into a draw, and the draw was completely full of brush. You know, maybe 100, 100 feet by an house, 150, 150 feet by an house was a draw. They continued on down, and then up the other side on the hillside, now you're looking on the other hillside, it's probably um, 300 yards away, 500 yards away, right? Yeah. Uh, but they had many bizarre things happening in that little area. Um, what happened when you were there? Well, when I, no, the only thing that happened when I was there, first of all, I observed in the backyard, uh, uh, when she took me on the backyard, you could look around and see that, the, that some of the tree limbs were broken on the inside, which could have been broken by other falling trees, right, when they were cutting them down and clearing yeah. them. So I could kind of explain that away, except it was only at one level. It was only at about about 40 feet off the ground, these big, tall pines, right? In a circle around there, the insides was all burnt. The in, uh, the branches at this uh, level were all withered and burnt, but just mm-hmm. at that level, mm-hmm. all the way around, which was really strange. Yeah. And there were some really broken, you know, like three-inch three, three inch, uh, diameter branches broken and dangling on various trees facing in towards the yard there at about that height, you know, around between 30 and 40 feet, as if something had crashed through there, you know, and then also the fact that everything was withered. Uh, the rest of the tree wasn't, but the outside branches facing away weren't, but the inner ones were. So what it was was an immediate effect from the environment. Anyway, the first night there, I, I was going to sleep in a guest room. I got settled from bed, brushed my teeth, went in there, laid down. And uh, as soon as I laid down, uh, all of a sudden it was like somebody turned on a microphone in my ear. And it was like, it went, What time of the night? Uh, it's about, it's, we went to bed about 10.30. No, about 11.30. About 11.30. Not that late. Not that Not horribly that late. late. No, about 11.30. For me, it was... Uh, Where were you? Later, because I'd flown from California. But anyway, so we went to bed about 11.30, and we had to get up early the next morning to drive up to Eureka Springs. Again, yeah. Uh, 
So I lay down and, and I put my head in the pillow and all of a sudden like this, and it's like this sound searching a frequency. And then, when, then it hit a certain place and it was just going, and it was very disturbing. It was making me feel like a little was weird. It, was it something that if you plugged your ears, it would go away? Um, no. It, as soon as I sat up, it went away. Huh. If I sat up on the side of the bed, it stopped. If I lay down and begin to relax, it came right back. As soon as I begin to relax, it came right back. I just sit up, stand I've up. Had, I've had that happen it'd go away. with the voices yelling at me. Yeah, well, I thought when that was When I didn't so have enough strange. sleep, actually, so well, I attributed it to that. So I, I, I tried several times. I sat up and went, oh, this is aggravating, you know. Some, you know, <laughs> much worse than tendinitis. Um, <laughs> but I laid back down and stood up again. So finally I said, oh, I got up. I went out in the living room, you know, um, and... I guess Carla heard me. I saw the light. She came down the hall. She said, uh, what's the matter? I can't sleep. And she came out and lit up a cigarette. And uh, I said, well, I said, it's really strange. Every time I lay in there and start to leave, the sound comes to me. She said, oh, that. Yeah, oh, I know. People complain about that all the time. <laughs> you know, like it's just something else they were going through, you know. <laughs> you know, there were photographs. She showed me, um, um, you know, Polaroids, a lot of Polaroids of, of marks they had in their bodies after waking up in the morning and, you know. Uh, all kind of things like this. You know, she'd find herself like wh- rocks and twigs and, and dirt in the sheets uh, in the morning and not know how they got there. Like she'd been out walking in the mud or something, you know. Yeah. And her husband, the same thing. And knows, they were going through all kind of bizarre yeah, things. Yeah, all the, all the pretty typical stuff. All the typical signs, you know. It was up close and personal. The funny thing was that her experience was sort of not typical. In that? Well, her, the concatenation of all her oh, experiences were not typical at not all. Not typical, right. And I think that... They, which gives she us was, insight. Yeah. She was one of the people who was brave enough to come out and say, look, these aren't all the same. Yeah. And, and they I remember that one thing she... Yeah, yeah. The one thing she said to me is all the anomalous details are going to be where the answer is, not in the stuff that everybody says this is it. And she says it's all the outliers. It's all yeah, the weird that's, stuff. That's what and she couldn't tell you how, but... Yeah, but you know, that weekend, that's what I got from her, Greg. And that's where I came away going... You know, like a new layer of understanding into how to look at it, you know, yeah. because she was up, boy, she was sharp as a tack. She was way up on that curve, you know, way up on that curve. And uh, you can see she had a, you can see it was personal for her. Yeah. And she's a very bright lady. I mean, she's got a PhD. She knows how to do research and she's not, a, yeah. you know, and she knows how to make a deductive argument and, and give her supporting materials. And I think she was not satisfied by the explanation we're going around. She said that doesn't match the data. Yeah. And thinking about it now, she was non she was non dogmatic about her stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. The it only thing she was dogmatic about it was that other people were, didn't have their they weren't throwing the net wide enough or weren't seeing enough of right, the spectrum. Right. They're throwing out a lot of the important stuff. Which was a yeah, that was a huge lesson for me. And I and you probably talked to her more than I did, but I I had I don't know, probably thirty, forty, fifty phone conversations with her sometimes lasting two or three hours yeah just about about various stuff and ran at that point you know when this is before phone deals i ran up phone bills and so did she but um that's what i took away from her is just that don't buy the party line and keep wondering and keep asking the question that seems to be that nobody else is asking and she really pounded that into me you know not because she's like you have to do this she was just saying that's what i do and yeah you know, and I was interested in that. Did you? Uh, uh, you remember the book? And I had a weird experience before I met her, the but, night before. Oh yeah, before you met her. I was the, for the first time. I was going to meet her in Austin, 
at the MUFON in Austin where she was speaking in 94 or 5 or something like that. And the night before, we all stayed up watching dumb movies and stuff. And then we went to sleep probably about 1 o'clock. And I um, I woke up at 111, 222, 333, 444, and 555. Before I could finally go You're to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had up. never read about that. I didn't know about it. And when I saw her, I said, hey, Carly, you know what happened last night? And I described this to her. She goes, that's classic stuff. Yeah. And that's the only time that's ever happened was the night before I was going to talk to her. Then we did the, you know, there was two days of um, the conference, I think. And then I interviewed her on the second day. We went to lunch. And I came came back, and this is at West Nation's house, the guy that was doing Crash Collusion, that magazine mm-hmm. at the time, and Miles yeah. Lewis was there with us, who uh, runs the Anomaly News Network now. When we got back, I had to leave that day on the Sunday, so I got, you know, they drove me to the airport and all that, and then when I got home, he called me, he said, you know what happened when we went to the airport? I came back home, my neighbor, next-door neighbor came over to me, and he said, Two people came to the house to my... They rent, were renting, like, these little houses. So it was like a one-bedroom house on this property, like, made out of bricks. He said, when I was taking you to the airport, my neighbor said these two people had come, and they looked like they were workmen, and they were messing around with something near the water heater. Hmm. And after they left, the water heater caught on fire, and the fire department had to come and put it out. Hmm. <laughs> the fire, the uh, water heater enclosure on the side of the house. And they never found out who those people were or what they were doing there. Mm. It seems sort of sinister, but if you really wanted to cause a problem, you'd go somewhere where it would really start a fire. Because a water heater is enclosed in a metal enclosure. There's not too much in there to burn, and it's on a brick building. So it couldn't have really burned the place down, but it could scare somebody. And get your attention. And get your attention. Really, that, And it's funny, the one time I actually interacted with Carla was... The time where two very strange things happen within the space of a couple of days. I wonder. I often nothing with about her this. personally, though. I mean, we just well, hung out. But I always wonder. It's like Carla. Have you, you know Carla's history. I mean, she would had many kind of. I guess you'd call them paranormal experiences. She told me about one. It got published in the book. Yeah, but about, about going to India yeah. and having the, all that stuff happen before. Right. Before she even left for the airport, apparently, <laughs> she woke up one day and she was back in. I can't remember what it was. It was like a whole <laughs> yeah. like a week of stuff going on. And, and then she, she had went the, and had to go live it out. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, how bizarre is that? Yeah. Now, I mean, so I'm just wondering, when you move into Carla's space, you know, it's going to rub off on you in yeah, a sense. that you know, Just I mean, like we were talking yeah, about earlier. Because it's around her or something, whatever she, what kind of transformer I dare she say is. if I met her now and that happened, mm-hmm. it wouldn't, I bet it wouldn't happen. Well, probably if, if your mindset is different, it's going to, you know. I just wonder if there's some energy attached that, you know, is like an excess of energy that causes all these things to manifest from the unconscious. So like the krill thing in uh, Forbidden Planet. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Kind of, the more that higher the concentration of that ambient energy or whatever it is is around a person the more likely they are to awaken it stimulate it uh, magnetize it in other people yeah. or you know ca- cause these outbreaks so to speak I don't know what you call it but there is yeah, well, something you, you there you enter some sort of a field yeah it's kind of a field I, I, I literally I, I do think it's kind of a field because uh, you know I noticed being around Dadaji uh, after a while I really noticed it was kind of a field for me when I moved into you know proximity with him I could feel, uh, first of all, my body would start getting hot, 
you know, yeah. like I was in a, in a, a sauna. And that almost, could be you know? some subtle thing, but then you then you have other people experience it, and then you experience it when you're not around the person. Then other like. Yeah, I woke up at those weird times, but that was personally experienced. Maybe I dreamed the whole thing. I don't know. But the guy's thing being set on fire, that yeah, yeah. I wasn't even there. Yeah. So it's not like you can say, oh, well, it's just some, you you freak yourself out or, you know, that's some subconscious thing. Yeah, well, it is. But it's also, it, it manifests in the external, you know, in our external reality where other people can perceive it. Well, the other thing about it, too, it seems to know you better than you think. That's it. <laughs> Well, it's you know yourself. Oh, I see. Maybe it's your subconscious that knows you better than you exactly. think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, access, you know, infol- uh, unfolding that thing. Yeah. yeah. There's like a, it kind of comes in and zap, whatever it is comes in and zaps you and all this, it's like a holographic universe is enfolded in, in, in your well, that's, you know, experience and it starts opening that thing right. up. You, I really you do start think, opening I it do up. think, I mean, that's the best the best uh, analogy or metaphor I can come for thinking how this all works is we are kind of like in a living in a holographic universe where there's the holes within each part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each one of us contains the whole, you know. Yeah, we were talking about this with the uh, conscious, the mind being located. In, yeah, yeah. And it's, so it's more like a of the Hindu idea where, yeah, a field. It's where, a field. Right. Where you're a knot of in, in, a, in a web or like a knot in a fishing net that just covers everything. You're just one of the knots, but every, you can access every other part of that fishing exactly. net even though you're that one little that knot. One knot right. And when you go, that knot is untied and goes somewhere else or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Or the, the, the knot is not um, uh, reflected in the physical world at that point. For a while, not for these a while, are models right. too. I'm not thinking. I'm not saying I believe this to be true. Well, they're just I, models, right? Yeah. They're, they're things yeah. to think with, you know. Yeah, they're, they're exactly. To, get, to give uh, uh, some kind of structure to uh, a picture we try to create, because you know, I don't know how your how your mind works. Mind, you know, I think, uh, you know, when I think about how I think about things and then come with a, with a fresh take on it, what I try to notice what 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 am I doing when I'm doing that? It's pretty kind of hard to do, yeah. Because when you start doing one thing, you stop doing the other. It's like when when they say meditate, uh, just you know, let your let your let your mind focus on the breath. Well, as soon as my mind focuses on the breath, I change the breathing. Yeah, I, 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 it stops doing what it was doing before I thought about it. Yeah, be here now is one of the hardest things you've ever done. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes getting up to meditate is like it's the last thing I want to do. I'd rather do anything, maybe like uh, cut my cuticle too short or something, <laughs> anything. But sometimes, like the last thing I want to do is sit and be with my mind and calm it down. It's like sometimes uh, it's like you just want to scream, yeah. you know. It's amazing how it can be so difficult. You, you've I've only done little tiny bits of. It. You've done far more than I do. Yeah, and it takes but a lot I, of patience when I did, for a restless guy like me, you know. And the two times that it worked, where I tried not tried really hard, but I was able to shut off that noise for more than about a couple of minutes was when suddenly the big white light of nothing just yeah yeah and you go ah! it goes away yeah that's what happens right you go out ah! and it goes away yeah. it's like the tibetan book of the dead says the light is easy enough to raise but difficult to fix yeah no to walk on that, to stay in that, to walk that on the edge of that, you know, in that state of awareness, yeah. whew, you can see why it's so rare. And how so do you think somebody that's a good meditator like that, like you imagine a some sort of, um, just for the sake of argument, some sort of Buddhist, Zen Buddhist that's in that 
mindset as much, you know, way more than we are, which is probably, you know, they're in it for five minutes a day and we're in it for five minutes in 20 years. Yeah. Or what, years, or what does the world look like to them? And if, if something strange like a UFO or a ghost landed in front of them, what would it look like to them? <laughs> exactly. Who's to know? Uh, you know, how would they describe it? They'd probably just start laughing and say, well, it's, you know, it's like a tree or whatever. It's there. <laughs> you know, there's no reason to be freaked out about it yeah. it was just there i mean it's yeah. there like everything else well the curious thing is it's like it really is um and i had the experience as i was working on the dadaji for a while you know, with the yoga and the meditation and i was still pretty r- brand new at it and i didn't stay with it forever which is because i'm just a lazy inconsistent yeah. son of a bitch but yeah like most people right during that period of time <laughs> it's like whatever work was going on within me and with, with his assistance was really intense. Yeah. I'll give you one of a really bizarre yeah, You're experience. lucky you had somebody there going... Yeah, exactly. Kicking you every once in a while going, hey, think about this. Yeah, or stop right. thinking about this. Or but there was something more going on, something more energetic. There was a real yeah. energetic thing going on com- yeah. coming from that direction. Whereas, uh, whatever was being provided by him in his role as the, when he accepts you as an initiator, as a guru, there is a real energetic exchange taking place, no question about it. It's not so much verbal as energetic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, about a week after uh, he initiated me in meditation, uh, I'd come back to just come back to L.A. He was up in Northern California one time, and I came back down. He was living in, he was living in San Rafael, and I came back down here. And within a day or two, I was going up for a week long meditation conference with the A.R.E. the Edgar Casey Group. This is like yeah, 1974, yeah. right? Wow, yeah. Uh, the night we arrived, they had a, a, at the end of the evening on Friday night, they had a, a meditation in the uh, chapel, you know, where the, everybody was about, and the lights were on the chapel. It was about, uh, oh, probably about 75 people, right? Yeah. Or 50 to 75 people. And uh, so we went through the typical little uh, ARE procedure for meditation, how to calm down, center, and yeah. affirmation, yeah. meditate, right? And boy, as soon as my, my butt hit the pew of that church, that wooden pew, right? I could feel that, like that. I could feel this energy in my in my forehead and in my head that, that was like I could already already feel it. Like it usually takes a while. Yeah, it takes a while to get there after sitting and quieting myself. But it was like it was there ahead of me. As soon as I sat down, boy, I, I could feel the energy moving up my spine and into my forehead, right. And as soon as I closed my eyes, I was seeing light, just seeing light with my eyes closed. I was very awake. I was very aware that I was sitting on this hard wooden bench with my skinny little butt because it was not too comfortable. I could uh, uh, try not to bump the person next to me or uh, kind of move a little bit so we're not touching each other. Yeah. You know, I remember that, all those sensations and other people coughing. and you know. But I was like, whoa, man. I'm just this rush of kind of bliss and energy moving. Uh, uh, bliss is the only word I can think of. That's the word they use. But it is, you just feel great, you know? Yeah. And your head is like feels like it's... It's being blown up. Literally, it feels like it's being inflated. Mm-hmm. And my forehead was like, all I could see was this whitey, goldy light, you know. But I could hear the conversation, people coughing and everything else, but it just felt fantastic, right? So it, they did it for about 10 or 15 minutes of meditation, and then they were closing down, and, and the meditation ended. And I remember at that point, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm in a stage of very, until they lock the fucking doors in this place. I'm not even, I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah. standing just like I am, man. This is, woo, this is cool. And that's really what I did. People, I just kind of stand up. Let people pass by me. I just kept yeah. my eyes closed, you know. Yeah. Energy still rode. Mm-hmm. I sat back down. Heard people get on the door. They kind of went outside. I could hear them talking outside. But I was still sitting there with that just that rushes of energy going up and into my head and just this light in my head, you know, and it wasn't going away. Yeah. And uh, finally they said, okay, Rich, come on out. we got to lock it up, you know. So I got up, opened my eyes, walked out. Floated we out chatted and socialized. <laughs> uh, yeah, floated out the door. and chatted and socialized for about another 15 or 20 minutes, you know, on the grounds outside. 
and then headed to the rooms we had. And I was sharing a room with another friend, Dave, Dave uh, Slater. And uh, so then I had to do my 30 minutes of yoga exercises that I was doing, and then try to do my yoga meditation, right? Mm-hmm. So then I did all that. And behind it all, I could still feel that energy kind of riding it, you know. So then I go to bed. Now I'm tired. You know, we had driven from L.A. through Big Sur and everything else. You know, yeah. It was a long day. And now yeah, it's long after, drive. after midnight. And uh, I lay down. And I assume I fall asleep or I'm just about asleep. When all of a sudden these big waves uh, start coming up from, from, from my groin. You know, and I, the only thing I compare it to is like pre-ejaculation waves of, of, of like sex pleasure, right? But instead, these waves are, are going up, and they're coming up through my stomach and up through my chest. And in big rushes, like, vroom, 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 like that. And I, I suddenly, I, I was becoming more awake, realizing this, and I was fully awake. And then I noticed him, and I was like, I went, and I popped straight up in bed, and I went, what the hell? And I sat there with these, like, it felt like, uh, you know, a Roman candle, these things shooting yeah. off the top of my head. It was just like waves of sensation shooting out the top of my head, like, zoom, zoom, you know, like the sensation just going. And I was going, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. And this rush, really incredible what rush. What did they feed it? you at? Uh... Yeah, I know. I had no explanation. And, and, then, and then finally it, it stopped and quieted down, and I went, what the hell was that? And as soon as I said it, this voice about three inches from my ear says, uh, it's okay, it's just part of the cleansing. Go back to sleep. And I literally turned around to see who was there. Of course, there was nobody there. It was oh, it literally was like it's okay. I it, couldn't go back to sleep after that. It's just part of the cleansing. Go back to sleep. The curious thing was, womp, I went out. Yeah, but that was the experience, you know. Uh, so, so this energetic thing, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's an energetic thing that the body's capable of. You know, I guess it's raising the kundalini. Yeah, three quarters of the it. people listening now are thinking you were involved in some sort of like government-sponsored mind control thing. Yeah, well, you know, who knows? Yeah, uh, too bad. I Too bad so. that's not what Richard yeah, thinks. I, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I'm working with an Eastern guru. This is normal. I mean, this is what yoga. Yeah. You know, they, they talk about yoga. Yoga is yeah, a and science. It's, people have had this experience not sitting in a in the AR, ARE yeah, no, uh, place. It's, 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 it's been science. all over the place. Yeah, I mean, if you go study with Nanda Marga or with uh, SRF, or, you know, and you, uh, the, the, the body, the channels, the, you know, the chi, all that kind of stuff. It's just science. In other words, they, yeah. they say, don't believe in God. Forget God. You, you, you have no idea what you're talking about in any fucking way. So just forget all that. You know, <laughs> right? Forget all that. Forget about God or anything yeah, like that. This is, just, this, just, this is you. Just maybe do you the practice. the source. Yeah. Just do the practice. <laughs> you will find yourself, if you do the practice, experiencing life little by little differently. Yeah. You will see life differently. You, ex- you will react to life differently. Yeah. You will you know, view everything differently. It's not a belief system. Right. You know, some of the side effects of this transformation that's going on in SRF, they say, really what you're doing is you're hastening the evolution of the body about a million years, you know, in a lifetime with the, uh, with the, with the, with the with this particular practices of the stimulating these glands and these nerves in yeah, this kind of way yeah. in this practice with these, you know, with this mental focus. You, it's, so, it's, it just happens yeah. to you. If you do the work, it happens. It's not yeah. like you have to believe it or not believe it. Just so, do the work. Yeah. So all these years later... Um, what good did it do you? Lots of good. I mean, I, I, I would say, looking back now over the arc of my life from age 65 to back to, let's say, back uh, age 28 when yeah. Southern Ernest is like, the difference is I am now what I wasn't then in terms of my understanding and the way I hold myself in the world. I hold myself and, and the way I react to the world is totally different. 
right? Uh, part of it's a function of age, but part of it's a function of integration. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of uh, experiences that have, uh, when they come up, are quite uncomfortable and, and you struggle with sometimes for a long period of time. But as, as they integrate, you know, it changes you. Your viewpoint changes. Your world yeah. changes. You know, your energy changes. Are you less emotional about things or more since then? I'm less reactive but okay. more deeply affected. Okay. Much more, much less reactive, right. but much more deeply affected by what I, affects I'm me. trying to think because I only went through a little bit of this, and it was self-guided, and a lot of it was Western-based. Uh, I think that you do, with that practice, by, by the nature of it, you do develop a certain detachment. Maybe that's it, because I'm always thinking it's a, what do you want to call it, that there's some kind of a varnish over my emotions but maybe it's more like a detachment i don't know yeah because sometimes I, I, it worries me too, but yeah. usually it doesn't well you know i found that i found that to be a problem by the way back in the 70s when i was really working on my acting craft and, and, and with a, a method teacher right you know, right and at the same time i was going through this heavy meditation kind of routine and they almost <laughs> and re- pulling you in two different directions exactly that's what it felt like two different directions you know one was detaching you the other requires your immersion in yeah you know and uh Immersion into a, a space that you're not usually in yeah. and don't really experience. Much you heavier, have to, much you heavier. You have to be space. empathetic about the kind of person that would experience those kind of emotions. Yeah, so I, I, empathy I, is the word. I find it interesting that you know my my pursuits in Hollywood. I mean, I, I came to Hollywood because I just didn't know where else to go at the time. Really, well, you know, I was investigating acting. I never had to want to be an actor. Really, it, it it really wasn't anything I ever thought about in my whole life. You know, yeah. I saw myself as a teacher, a writer, probably. You know. Uh, teaching at a college and maybe writing. I didn't know, really. I wasn't sure. Somewhere in that direction. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tried to transfer to University of Missouri my sophomore year of college, and I dropped out of College of Santa Fe, and I got swooped up in the draft. Next thing, I'm in the Army, you know? Yeah. Um, in Colorado, that, right? Yeah, and got stationed at Fort Carson. Yeah. But before that, like, even at, at College of Santa Fe, uh, there was a drama department, but I wasn't in it. Yeah. But when they were doing a dedication performance for the new theater that uh, Greer Garson's husband was paying for, and it was going to be dedicated to Greer Garson Theater, mm-hmm. the, the drama department uh, head came to me and said, we're doing a little play, uh, and I want you, there's four characters. I'd like you to be one of the four characters. <laughs> and then I go, well, I don't know anything about acting. Oh, you'll be fine. You know, <laughs> you know it was always like I was always being recruited. Yeah. During the acting, same thing. I never, never thought about being an actor. Really, uh, the furthest thing from my mind. Never yeah. pictured it, never th- fantasized about it, nothing. Yeah. And yet I kept getting pulled into it. At Fort Carson, uh, I had a buddy who, uh, well, who was Maybe that's actor. why, you, you, one, you were supposed to do it, and two, you had some detachment about it, so you weren't like, ah! Well, I'll tell you, though, when I got to town here, and you know, and I didn't know, you know, well, okay, I'm ready to be an actor. What do I do? <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know shit. Pardon yeah. my French. I didn't know anything about the business, so I had to learn all that. Yeah. Uh, and realized I how much... I did not much, know Mared. Right, I, I Mared. <laughs> but how much it depends on you understanding that it's a business, how how that business functions, what's yeah. the, uh, what's the, what's the, how do you make it work? You know, what, what, yeah. who's, who's, how does it work? And there's so much How about, do you play this game? How do you play this game? And it's like contacts, uh, working with people, people uh, who help you get your project going and you, you work together and you, that's why they kind of throw yeah. jobs each other's way. Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. you kind of come up with a group of, you're all no, struggling it's, it's together very, and you have you to, make it together. And you have to be into people or you can't do you it. You can't do it. And, and uh, you have to have a really thick skin. Yeah, and you have to have a lot of perseverance, you know, a lot yeah. of things. Uh, I mean, I, feel, I felt like I outlasted it. I mean, I waited tables for six years, yeah. you know, <laughs> 
to get there and then finally start making a living at it. And I, I got made a good living at it for another, well, decent living for another 15 to 20 years. Yeah. You know, and that, uh, that that's no guarantee from day to day <laughs> for your next job, you know. And, and it's, it's like freelancing. You, you, it's, you're only as good as your last job. Yeah. You know, uh, did you want to finish a thought? No, you look like you're about to say something. What? We've got less than half the time. We haven't even mentioned... Uh, Issues that I said we were going to talk about on the well, show. Well, tell you what, let's do. Uh, 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 why don't we take? Can we take a break? A musical break or something? Yeah, let me let me find something. And then while I go to the bathroom and yeah, I, I I cannot quote Shakespeare at least more than about two lines. I so. couldn't either. Actually, I, I, I could. <laughs> were you I, in here babbling? Were you you just making well, I was, stuff up? No, I was. I started with to be or not to be, and then I kind of UFO-fied it. You know, I, I kind of <laughs> I kind of weird. I'm gonna have to listen to it later because, of course, <laughs> I didn't hear any of it. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> Uh, I was going to find something appropriate and and uh, and and meditative, but uh, how about um, horses don't bet on people by the corn cobblers? Well, it's, <laughs> I, 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 it'll be new to me. I, I'll learn something new. I hear something new. Here it is. Sigrid, my beautiful wife Sigrid just found a version of Miracles from Molecules played on a um, ragtime piano. Uh, if you don't know what Miracles from Molecules was, it's the song from my favorite ride ever at Disneyland. Um, just so you know what it sounds like, here's a little bit of it uh, uh, from uh, my computer. Miracles from Molecules around us. 
I'll let it go through to the uh, past this verse, and then we'll listen to the uh, ragtime version. Amazing. Uh, Richard is out uh, uh, using the uh, little boy's room, etc. So. Okay, that's how that sounds. That's the song that used to play as you got off the ride, the Monsanto's World of Inner Space ride in Disneyland in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, until they put in Star Tours, which is actually what's there now, again. So here's the uh, ragtime version of uh, Miracles from Molecules. Wow, that was wonderful. Yeah, Thank you. That, that was, that was, that felt like I was an old melodrama, you know. But do you know that song, the Miracles from Molecules song from the Monsanto's World of Inner Space ride at Disneyland? Remember the one where you get shrunk down? And oh, I didn't recognize it. I don't at the end of the me. ride, when you got off as part of a PR because Monsanto was so wonderful. Now they're evil. Oh. Well, I, you know, I just got a, an email uh, thing, kind of one of those things that flooded out from my brother about the the, the, the horrors of aspartame, you mm. know, how there's been such a rise in oh. uh, MS symptoms among people, and, and this woman who suddenly found herself having a terrible, uh, the muscle cramping, the fatigue, and all that kind of thing, you know, and the doctors examined her and they said, well... Miracles from molecules. You've got... Oh, yeah.
Well, now you see that that all American clarity of the words, you yeah. know, the the, the the like when I came to town with my New Orleans accent, uh, I saw my first uh, commercial uh, agent, yeah. and she said, "Honey, you got to do two things: one, fix your teeth, and two, get rid lose, of that accent, lose the accent." Yeah. So I had to learn to talk like, "Hi, I'm from nowhere, USA." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the uh, most recent thing uh, I've heard about uh, regional accents is. Apparently, the the accent that people consider a non-accent is California. Yeah. Southern California because of the media. That's probably it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had to learn to talk that way as best I could. You know? Yeah. Uh, but as soon as I get around my family, I just revert back to... Got to hear that. You know, New Orleans. Where you at, Bob? You know? Yeah. Hey, John. <laughs> anyway, that's the... It's still one of my favorite songs, just because of the cheesiness of it and because of what Monsanto is and my childhood and everything. Yeah. I mean, it means something to me that would never mean to somebody else, I think. I actually had a jazz version of that a long time ago. I might be able to find it still on a tape. Anyway, before yeah. Yeah. Um, you were interrupted by this music, we were going to talk about somebody that we... Uh, I wanted to talk about somebody that you'd introduced me to and we've talked about a little bit on the shows and you've probably talked about on Don's show. We met in the uh, the mid-early 90s. Okay, but that's when he was really trying to get out. He was having a hard time getting out. Why don't you background a little bit? Where shall we Just start? Just a little bit. Where do, where do you want to start? Um, okay, uh, what would handle would people have on this easily? What... What was this person, and what was he trying to do? Well, you know, by know, contacting you, and then yeah, well, later me actually went, individually. Right. The way it happened for me is that uh, uh, Gary Schultz and Norio Hayakawa uh, were involved in putting on these conspiracy conferences. Yeah, and they uh, they had contacted the UFO magazine about you know covering them, you know, sending somebody to cover the cover the event. Uh, I guess there'd been one or two already. And uh, Vincent, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Vicky hadn't done anything about it, and you know, which is often the case. Like, I don't know, this, they had heard something about this COM 12 stuff, and it sounded like a bunch of bu- bullshit, and uh, they'd seen a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all took it as a bunch there of bullshit. There is a lot. Yeah. There was a lot. was. And, there will be a lot. Uh, you know, I was hanging out with them, like I say, most of the time over at their house every day for a couple of years. Uh, and Don and I were working on getting these projects marched out. Uh, and I was getting an education in the whole field, which is pretty amazing be right there at the UFO headquarters and marshal all the, all the people that walked through that door. That's how I met, you know, John Keel and, uh, you know. You uh, met John Keel? Well, I talked to him on the phone. Oh, okay. I didn't meet him, no, but I talked to him extensively on the phone, you know. Uh, really? Huh. Yeah, uh, back in the day after I'd read this book. And, you know, he was friends with Don. And, oh, okay. Uh, Don interviewed him. And uh, I got to meet a lot of those people and talk to them on the phone or, or, or you know, often on the phone. Don would, I'd go to Don's house to work. We'd have a plan to get something written, an outline or something, you know. But it was constantly interrupted, so I found myself right. there, poised at the computer, waiting to go forward. Meanwhile, a three-hour interruption while Don deals with it. Somebody called in with a story about this or a story about that, and yeah. he's making phone calls and checking things out and blah, blah, blah. And that was a period where uh, Bill Cooper was raising hell and John Lear. So there was a lot of that going on during that period, and Don was thick in the middle of that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's when the SCS-48 uh, footage came in, and I remember I was at the house when the footage was brought over. And I remember uh, he talks about the guy from, uh, was it Exler? Bob Exler, right, uh, coming over and uh, viewing yes. it. And it wasn't until later we found out he already knew about this. And, and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot going on there all the mm-hmm. time. Um, 
But anyway, the, what happened is I spent the day there, and then I had to come back where I lived in Santa Monica uh, by the beach. And Vicky called me just after I got home. Uh, she said, oh, uh, you know, they called again about uh, that Gary's having this convention, conspiracy conference thing. There's somebody the, nobody really remembers anymore. Yeah, Gary Schultz. Norio's still around, however. Yes. No, uh, I I contact. I am in contact with him weekly, actually. Yeah, and he, he did, he's done a lot of good work. You know, oh. it really has. Um but anyway, so she said, you know, if you feel like it, she says, right over there at the Santa Monica Women's Club on 4th off of Wilshire, uh, you know, would you consider going over there and just kind of covering it for us? And I said, well, yeah, what the hell, I'll do that. So I just quickly went out the door almost. It was like 6.15, so I got there. Uh, and it was just starting up when I got there. I guess it must have been about 7 or something like that. The room was crowded. Uh, it was at the Women's Club right on 4th Street. They, they rented out for other purposes. And the room was full. must have been... Oh, at least 100 people there crammed into the room and people standing around the sides. Uh, since I came in, there's no seating. I, I stood up at the sign entrance. So I was like in front of the crowd looking sideways at Mike Younger, who had taken the microphone after being introduced by by uh, Gary and uh, Norio. I forget which one introduced him. And uh, he stood there, this kind of short, stocky guy, high forehead, uh, with a long black trench coat on. And on the other side of the room facing me was this guy about six foot four, blonde haired, blue eyed, looks like a Dolph Lundgren, you know, kind yeah. of character in a long trench coat. And there was another guy there in a long trench coat uh, who was, looked a little bit like Mike, but thinner, but still pretty stocky. And they, they didn't say a word. They just stood in the sidelines observing. Mike took the microphone. And uh, I was immediately surprised that the first thing he said is, look, he says, COM 12 is a inside joke we created the name i, I represent a group of of guys uh, who uh, want to get a different point of view out uh, we call ourselves com 12 is kind of our inside joke on match 12 right the supposed yeah. match 12 so he was yeah. he, you know it was like you know we're about as real as they are <laughs> yeah. and we laughed you know <laughs> uh-huh. and he kind of made that comment like he said however you know there is some information we think you'd like to know we'd like to get out to you so that's how vague he really was about that his that's all he said yeah, pretty much. He didn't make any big claims. I, I always got the And big, then other people came up and said other things? Yeah, other people would make the claims. Uh, when I confronted him with it, with those uh, oh, things. Oh, is that what he's just trying to do with me? Yeah. yeah. So it was interesting when, when I... Because I never repeated any of his claims, really. A couple times. Yeah, uh, I didn't either. Uh, I mean, I, I did in privately a share with uh, discussions. Yeah. Like, I, you go back and forth. What was obvious to me early on was that this was some kind of dog and pony show. Knew that I told, told Vicky the next day. I said, "This guy," I, he, I said, "There's something you know. This is this is a perfect example." I said, "Whatever, whoever he represents, I'm more interested in who he represents than, than whether, what's whether, coming out of his mouth. Whether he's real or not. You yeah. know, I, want, uh, I want to see how this game is played. Like, and what, yeah, and I'm more interested in who's who's putting on the show yeah, and what the show right. is about than what the show looks like. Right. And what's more important to me was to get in a position to observe that and uh, cultivate a relationship with this guy and down the road to see where that went, you know? Yeah. But I never uh, presented him to anybody as, you know, as, this is the real, this is the real thing. You know, it's more like, this guy's, you know, I don't know who he's talking to, but somebody's talking to him. You know, somebody, he's getting information somewhere, and he's a pretty amazing individual. as just an individual. Uh, he had an encyclopedic mind, uh, especially early on, uh, first year or so I knew him. Yeah, uh, he was so fluent when he began talking on a topic with so many specifics. I couldn't right. even keep up taking notes. 
uh, and often it was very, very, uh, you know, specific stuff, you know, that you could you could verify. Uh, I never caught him in any kind of this way. I never, I never, saw, I never saw him selling. I never saw. No. <laughs> he never tried to sell me evil aliens, uh, you know, Nazis, or anything like that. No, he did. And the material yeah, he shared either. was more like what he was selling uh, was the n- knowledge of the knowledge, as he said. I mean, as he represented, like these people know what's going on and they're dealing with it right now. Yeah, and yeah. you should probably know this. Yeah, that's, and I didn't even know whether to believe that. I didn't either. So you just take it as another thing. I, I just took it as part of the you know part of the landscape of what was going on. Although I kind of did because of the way he played it. And we did because we never knew quite how to take it. But we what we we did find was it had some. It, it, it was enough there to grab onto and kind of keep you. Oh, yeah. keep well, you interested. Yeah, the disinformation you know? thing, but yeah, how much uh, of it was information and and like more importantly, as you said, what was the game about? That was the most important thing, was trying to discover what the game was about. But, you know... Not a picture of some alleged something at Area 51, which nobody (laughs) else had ever seen, which he wanted to show us that it was smuggled out of somewhere. That wasn't the point. Yeah. Well, he always made the point that, you know, the aliens, to me, that the the, the thing happened at Area 51 with Bob Lazar had nothing to do with the aliens. He was very clear on that. Yeah. I think that's where I got that idea in the first place. Yeah. You did hear that interview with Nori where he said they went over to Lazar's house and there were two guys standing with him the whole time, or three guys in a house that didn't look like it had been lived in, and they followed him everywhere and listened to everything he said. Well, you know, Don and I went to visit uh, uh, Lazar, I remember, uh, one time, and I had the exact same impression. The house looked like a fucking set. <laughs> Excuse me again, I'm sorry. You have to bleep that out. No, the, I won't. The, 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 the house looks like a set. The room, the room where he did his experiments was literally, you know, a, a, a Van de Graaff generator. Yeah. You know, just, just the right size to fit into and look impressive in a room. Uh, very neat tables, uh, a few little electronic instrument, instruments around, but it was nothing but a showpiece room. There was nothing that was, nobody was doing any real if medical somebody, experiments. Yeah, if somebody really wanted you know, to convince you, they would have done a better job. Better job. So and, what and, was going on? <laughs> right. And the other thing I thought interesting is is uh, Mike Younger had told me when I told him I was going to Because these people aren't stupid. Uh, here's the thing, though. Mike Younger had told me, he said, listen. You're going to be visiting the house with Don. He said, he said, do something. He says, excuse go yourself and go in the bathroom and, and look, look at the, the photos pictures. on the wall. And he told me to do that, so I did that. And he said, look carefully at the hands. And I thought that was interesting. So when I went, there was the Yakuza uh, mark on the back of this uh, yeah. oriental gentleman's hand posing a photograph there yeah, with Yeah, because Lazar. he just he has a suit on. Right. So all you see is that little bit yeah. of Yeah. And so I'm going... Now, how the hell did Younger know that? Obviously, he had to have been there. Or yeah. somebody that was been, had been there told him. Right, because you know, it was like, right, we told Then it me. got into the whole thing about him being, uh, about the security for Air 51 and who's responsible for that and how he, he or the people he was with were hooked into that. Yeah, because uh, he's the one who was, in fact, the night he gave that, uh, that speech when I saw him, um, to go back to the beginning. <laughs> Which makes you kind of wonder why he was telling us that. Well, he, was, he made a point of it. What the point he was telling you is, listen, he said one of the things you people understand about how everything's being privatized and what you're interested in, he says, I, I know a lot of you people are interested in this UFO stuff. He says, we got a bigger picture to paint. That's just part of it. Don't worry. After the break, I'll get into some of the UFO stuff you want to hear so much about. But he was more talking about a bigger picture of the economic, the banking, uh, 
and the privatization process right. that was going on so heavily. All, all the, that literature he gave us was that that was all right. in there. I it was, mean, the you know, entire background. The beginning of the Reagan era, you know, and uh, I've achieved a lot more background information on that. You do realize then. this is going to be on a podcast and just be there forever, right, Richard? Uh, well, I am not me. I did not say this. <laughs> <laughs> I was not here. I did not say this, like in Dune. Right? Yes. When the Go ahead. I'm here. sorry. Uh, but, but where was I? <laughs> uh, you were talking about um, the uh, the privatization and the, and the story behind that, rather than the UFOs. Yeah, story. yeah. He was talking about like first he said at, at, at he said what you guys don't realize that it's like you assume that your most super secret and sensitive installations where we've had Delta forces and uh, you know uh, trained military personnel handling security, that's all gone. He said it's all been replaced by private security. In the case of Area 51, it's a company called Wackenut Corporation. Here's a copy of their statement. Look at the range of activities they have. Uh, they run. I went down to the LA Public Library country. at his insta- insistence and looked all that stuff yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. It was eye-opening. Yeah, and it, this was just like freely publicly available stuff about exactly. the company, who was on the board, where they had been, what the what areas they were into, what facilities they had charge of. Right, and it was amazing. It was frightening, actually. It was, and that's what he was. I think that's what he and his friends were coming forward in whatever they were doing, to uh, to kind of like. Because it was so invisible to yeah, the, the public. Yeah, the weird stuff was the candy. So, but the but I think they were kind of worried about the Eisenhower thing about the military industrial very complex. Much so, very they, much so. Very much so. They're very much they, uh, said we're it, military, but we're not really happy about what it's about. Right. Right. And uh, I've actually run into a few of those since then. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I've uh, run into a few that are all for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Take the money and run, guys. Yeah. But the uh, the whole question of like a lot of these technologies we're also interested in. Uh, he's saying it's all proprietary. It's all been you know the government keep, can keep it uh, out of the hands of the government even and out of the hands of the public because they have turned it over in a very very quasi DARPA like process where they have it developed you know with military I mean with a P- Pentagon funding but into a private organization you know it becomes a private company. Right. And uh, the developments become proprietary, which means th- there's no secrets the government has to reveal. Yeah, you you can't uh, you can't FOIA them because they're yeah. not FOIA. Yeah, no, exactly. And there was that's the kind of thing he was pointing out, saying you guys have to know where to even look. You don't even know where to look. You go looking there, you're gonna get nothing. Yeah. He says you got to get behind the screen of this interlinking yeah, corporation. Yeah. Same thing happened to Bill. You get the you you get the right key. It was like the internet. You get the right keywords. And you're going to go down the right path, or at least a different one. Right. You're going to go down a path of perspective. Yeah, yeah. So that really And was, that's what he was pushing. And that's what, yeah, that's what I feel uh, Younger was pushing uh, uh, for the most part, was sort of like, you guys don't even know where to start. You don't know. You're, you're kind of fumbling around, and, you know, and we respect you for that, that you're making the effort. And we respect, and, and we, we share the same interests you do in a lot of ways. Uh but here's some of the things we know that you don't know that maybe you ought to be paying attention to. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the thing. Uh, and it's 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 one percent of what they know, but it's right. it, that's the key for your you know, the key that they the part of the the, the impression of the key, like push, pressing it in some <laughs> yeah, right. some uh, clay so that and you can make wax, your own yeah, in right. wax and so you can make your own that they're giving you. They're handing you that impression of the key. And you're handing you the key. No. They they're handing exactly. you the impression of the key and you do what you can with it. Right. And that's exactly what, what, what he and did don't for, go for me and freaking for you. out because you're going to melt that thing and you're going to turn it into a key that unlocks what you want to see, not what 
right. you what's might there? need to, right. or what's there. And that was the education, I think. I, I, I really Just got to stretch him. metaphors. Right, but that's kind of the education we got. You got the same education. Yeah. And that uh, I think I, I gained a great deal in that relationship. People wonder what I'm saying on the show and some of the things I'm saying. This is a lot. Richard was formed, helped formed a lot of this yeah. background for me. Half of it was Richard and Mike Younger and these people, and half of it was... Um, Bill Moore, Bill Moore and, and Doty and a few and few people who I will never name. Well, I, that I, that formed my ideas about what's going on, and on a subconscious level, really, a lot of the things that I think and a lot of my opinions are formed by that, by this weirdness, by you know. And I almost never acknowledge Mike or any of this this stuff, and don't really talk about it too much because it's one of those. As soon as I start talking about it, I think it starts breaking down that <laughs> matrix in my head that I think is useful to me. Yeah. But well, we'll go ahead. <laughs> well, but I, I think when you say breaking down a matrix, it's sort of like... Um, well, the matrix that was built there, right. that I, the lens that was ground in my brain for uh, one of the lenses for me to look at this stuff is still valid from, you know, 15, 20 years ago now. And I'll tell you, the, the follow-up over the years uh, of other people I've talked to with uh, access to different things and, you know, and have served in different capacities in the government and in, in private aerospace companies, uh, uh, the web of my experience has only reinforced the value of that education I got and how yeah. it works. It has not changed it uh, in, to any great degree. It's really, so that lens has really... I guess I've looked through it too, like you have. Yeah. Kind of Yours is probably slightly different than mine, but yeah, yeah. slightly formative. Here, I'll ask you a stupid question, yeah. or or maybe not a stupid, but a basic question. So you have talked to these people, and you know, beginning with Mike and all this. Do they think? And this question has been asked hundreds of times, and I ask it of myself all the time. Do they think there is some reality behind all this? Absolutely. Extraterrestrial Absolutely. type weirdness. Absolutely. And how does that manifest as what we think it is? Or. Well, I, I tell you one thing. And do you think that they know? I, they, they, they don't. I tell you, I think Vale is on to a large extent. Uh, well, that's my wife calling that I want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I'm on the air right now. I'll call you back. <laughs> um, it'll go off in a second. Anyway, uh, that's. Mm. That's a very uh, uh, tough question in a way. For some reason, because of what I was just saying about this matrix in my head and the lenses and all that, uh I'm fairly convinced that the people that we talk to and that talk to Stephen Greer and talk to Bassett and, Mm -hmm. and Linda Howe and all these people... They've got a bill, slight bill of goods in their head that has been sold to them too. Uh, yeah, I've explored that angle too, I, and it, and that is true. And I, I, I recently, you know, not I, not all of absolutely them, absolutely no, Greg. I want to stay right on that because I think that's true. I think like one of my contacts has been shown and had certain experiences that was shown to him, right? Yeah. But I think that was also a shaped perception for him. Yeah. Right. Because I've known, I've That's talked. That's it. To, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, all these people from the most crude thing you can think of, which I'd be think like Lazar, to something extremely refined, which would be like Kelly Johnson leaking. Oh, we're going to send ET home. Yeah, 
I think it's a little more refined than what Lazar was exposed to. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that, you know, was Kelly Johnson saying that to screw with people? Well, yeah. Or because did he know something? Or both. Or both. Or was he saying this because he knew certain people would hear it and he wanted to affect their perceptions? And the same thing with uh, Renner Von Brown stuff. And there was a lot of who, you yeah. know, it's like. But, you know, when you put together the, 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 the those kind of little comments made by people who are real historical figures like him, like. Yeah. Um, Ben Rich, yeah, or uh, yeah. I'm sorry, it was Ben Rich. It wasn't. It no, wasn't uh, Kelly. It wasn't Kelly. It, it was Ben Rich. Yeah, uh, we're going to take ET home, and that's right. I'm and, sorry. Uh, uh, the other guy we just talked about. Uh, who's the other figure? My mind. Von Braun. Uh, Von Braun. Yeah. His. Uh, I've heard uh, stuff so, that he said too, where he said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." That's been you know uh, that uh, now the impression I get is, "Oh yeah," and I also get the impression that. Uh, this this goes way back, and that they believe that, that civilization has existed on this planet more advanced than we are today, and that in the past, whatever happened, some kind of big cataclysm, and it may have been a war of some sort, yeah. uh, but that we pretty much blew ourselves back in the Stone Ages, you know, yeah. we're clawing our way back up again, yeah. and that some of the artifacts and things around this planet are a testament to yeah. that. But uh, in a way that we would not even be able to get our minds around because it is, quote-unquote, alien to the way we think. Well, and i give you an example of that. I brought this up to, to a, a person I, I was talking even to. Even though the, the the things that, the beings that did this were basically human, homo sapiens. Yeah, for all we know. Yeah. You know, although but they, what I've heard from... Their f- frame of reference is completely different than ours. Interesting thing enough is that I heard this separately from two different sources, both of whom have uh, intelligence backgrounds, but it was both at some point in their careers had been uh, uh, Navy, right? Right. Um, and I mean, besides Mike Younger. Right, right. I understand. That. Uh, and it's interesting that... Which is a whole other question. Well, what I think is interesting is that, uh, is that they, the big picture that when I get in, in further to know them and talk a little more about it and throw certain things out and see how they respond to it, it's interesting that they, they collectively seem to have the same orientation mm-hmm. as far as their picture of it. And it also involves ancient civilizations. And that certain things, artifacts, craft, and other kind of materials have been recovered or have been found, like in the case of uh, a craft, is just found inside a, a cave. When they, when they found the cave, there yeah. was the craft. Right, right, and right. it was wedge-shaped. You know, uh-huh. something like that, or or was circular shaped. I've right. heard different stories, you know, mm-hmm. from different people. But the idea that these things were sitting there, and it, they may have been sitting there for the last twenty thousand years, yeah, or you know, a million, or whatever, or whatever, you know, yeah. or a million or a half million. Um, unlike, I mean, I, I think Richard Hoagland can, can can do more to hurt anything <laughs> than he can help, <laughs> in spite of the fact that sometimes. What he puts out there is some very interesting stuff, and then he just takes it and runs off a cliff with it, and you just yeah, want to well, scream at him. I think 95% of the stuff that we're, that is on these shows, maybe even on my show, is a case of the looking, pointing at the finger rather than what the finger's pointing, pointing at. at. But the idea that, uh, uh, in Hogan's thing, that there are ruins. I try to cut down on that, but you know I, what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> but uh, like that fact, I, ruins on the moon. Well, I think... I think there are ruins on the moon, and I, I think I think it from the pictures I've seen. Yeah, I think Don, Don is at, pretty well versed in that. Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, and I brought this up. It's like um, I was talking to somebody the other day who uh, who has a, a deep intel background, right? Uh, 
and he was saying, you know, I said, how come whenever, you know, every time we get moon pictures from NASA and they're putting on new high resolution ones on the, on the internet now, and then how, how come is it, it's, it's, it's just, just enough lack of resolution to see things which look curiously artificial, but they're just not quite clear enough to see when yeah, you know when you can when, when you know they have the they have the technology to look through the Earth's atmosphere and if they're at the right angle read a damned license plate right and I, so I said this to this on guy on the moon where there's no atmosphere right and I said to this guy <laughs> I, I said that to him you know and he looked at me and he smiled and he says yeah isn't that strange yeah yeah you know and he kind of laughed like that yeah remember that article I had from a. Na- uh, Former NASA scientists about structures on the North Pole of the Moon. Yeah, the ones that look like squares. Yeah, yeah, look like walls. Well, you can. I've seen they look that. like square craters. They, they do. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, if you spend your time and it, it, you know, any more pictures from the North Pole of the Moon? I don't know. Polar orbits are very tough, actually. For the well, moon. you know, it's, where it's a we, lot of fuel. Where are we planning to put our our, our first station on the Moon? South Pole. Uh, at the pole. Yeah, or at the South Pole. Where Not the North Pole. Supposedly water. Yeah, yeah. Also, where you can get enough the constant sunlight. Well, I guess there is water, right? Uh, you know, in other words, right where the uh, Terminator, you know, see, so you know, you're not going to be in darkness like the dark side of the moon. You're not going to be in full brightness. You're going to be yeah. But the thing is, the sun does go around the moon. It it's does just go around the goes, moon. It's at the exact it rotates at the exact same rate that it goes around the but earth. But this way, so. they can keep their eye on the earth even when it's turned around. I mean, that's I think part of the oh, reason being the poles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can yeah. see both directions at once. You know, so to speak. I don't know. I, I think that's part of the thinking. I don't know how much the axis of the moon is tilted with respect to the ecliptic. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm just guessing. Yeah. But I know that's where we're planning on putting the first one. You know, if it's the first one. Right. But I have some doubts. I think. I, 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 see, I, oh, I, this is something that Walter talks yeah, about. Yeah, I, I you know? suspect. Do you I mean, think I, that the I space program it. that we know about is the space? It's like, because no, people no. come up and say, you know, we know when there's people in space, and Walter's like, I can't believe you even say that. Yeah. With everything else that goes on that we don't know <laughs> about, you think we know that we know every person that's been in space? It's probably it's probably 10 times that many. I, I, well, see, I, mean, I I'm, I'm inclined, shot in the dark, I know, but I'm inclined to, I'm inclined, you know, just from, just from the backgrounding I've had and the things I've seen and the way things work, I'm just convinced that nothing ever stopped as far as the importance of the moon. It just went mm. uh, went dark, you know, and um, probably moved a little further from NASA, uh, but in the you know yeah. within this Air Force yeah. and, or, to, or to a private company to private companies again. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I'm telling you, that's where the action is. Just like you know, in Annie Jacobson's book, the the big revelation in Annie Jacobson's book, not the hor- horse manure that she sold about the. Uh, uh, Mengele formed children in a, in a crash. Uh, you know, I, I think that's. I think that she. I think that they, they set the hook for her, and she took it real well. Uh, I think that was his job. His credibility was. I should the have hook. recorded. We went and saw her at the LA Public well, Library. Well, I think she had a lot to. Yeah, I think she had a lot to offer, but I think they really set the hook for her for that one. I, I think, think she didn't know she had a lot to offer. Yeah. I think she was a. I think she was an information delivery system. Yeah. She thinks she's an investigative reporter. She's just an information right, delivery, delivery system, system yeah. exactly. And here's what they told me, and, I, and they're and they're great guys. It's not so to you know denigrate her writing or all. anything, or Good maybe writer. even her Good inte- yeah. intelligence or anything. But yeah, very engaging I, I, writer. Uh, yeah. easy and to I read. think she might be vaguely aware that that's what she's doing. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Uh, or maybe th- very aware. But I think one of the most important things that she pointed out is the fact that. Well, we know I don't know what this current name is. The Atomic Energy Commission has been through like four name changes, but. They have their own separate classification system, and the Pentagon has used that to hide, and the intelligence community has used mm. that to hide 
black projects forever. Yeah. There's you a know, lot of that. There's nothing to look up. You can't go to FOIA. There's been a lot of that in Kirtland for, from the beginning. Uh, from the beginning. I mean, this whole proposition process. That's what, uh, and Younger was pushing that over and over again. Uh, and he also particularly pointed out, he said, uh, I mean, one of the companies he pointed out was, you know, uh, SAIC. Headed oh, up yeah. by, by uh, former the, Admiral Bobby Ray Inman. The one in San Diego that was right. active in the 90s. Oh, SAIC, uh, Scientific Applications International, International Corporation. Corporation. Yes. I always thought it was amusing when you spell it backwards. <laughs> CIAS. Yeah. CIAs, right? Yeah. Another, another front company for the CIA. Or the CIA, of course, is a front company for NSA, which is now a front company for some other acronym. You know, uh, not the NRO. The NRO was kind of I've never under heard the this NSA. Part, yeah. Right, but, uh, uh, you know, by the time NSA becomes public, there's already another agency which is you, you haven't heard of that's operating. And as soon as it becomes public... Well, either that or it's been you know, operating on, under some other thing for it just quite keeps, a long yeah, time. Yeah, it just keeps... Uh, it's both inside and outside. You know, yeah. tentacles in, but head out. <laughs> Information flows one way. Yeah. Information flows in, responses flow out. Right, Direct, not information. Directives flow out. Yeah. Information flows in, directives flow out. Yeah. And those directives go wherever they want, and they carry weight. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the way it works. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it, yeah, it forms this you know, protective cocoon around whatever, of, right. of, of junk. And I don't care who you are. If you're, if you're you know, a, a full bird colonel or a retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, or like a John Alexander who's been way inside, uh, you would have no more access to, he wouldn't have any more access than you or I would. I think he knows that, and that's the, yeah. That's I think some he recognizes his, that. And he, uh, that's a source of some of his frustration. Yeah, yeah. Him and all the other aviary people, which is why they were in that group. You know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the comments I got, from and that's just one of them from one of these insiders, is that they they have not they, they all their attempts to like uh, figure out the propulsion system of one of these found uh, things. Yeah, still hasn't borne any fruit. <laughs> there are other. Propulsion systems. I think I really do think you can connect the Kecksburg with the Bell with the, the Glock. You know, I think right, that's, right, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, what I find interesting too is sometimes I bring this up in different circles. Uh, yeah, the, the aerospace uh, circles, right? and and, uh, well, and Joseph Farrell and um, right and uh, Nick Cook and all these people. Yeah, and actually, just... and the pre run to all of them was uh, Velasco's book, uh, Man Made Flying Saucer. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, you got to yes. go back to Velasco's book. It's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. lot of that stuff. That's what inspired those guys. You mean uh, Renato Vesco? Vesco, not Renato. Yeah. Intercept, but don't shoot. And yeah, which they became man-made UFOs. Now the man-made UFOs yeah. update. You know, you I go back and read that. Intercept, but don't well, shoot. Have you ever read that? Read that book? It's very tough reading. It's a tough read. It's really it's arrowed, very thick. You're reading about patents and how they came out and what the developments yeah. were for a bond. All I layer, remembered was lamination, laminary endless, flow, endless pages about right. where things were where the secret facilities were, what possibly they were working on, but incredibly huge amounts of information on how well it had to be hidden well, also, inside mountains and things like that. Well, I this. think I remember more from the book about this, uh, uh, scientific papers on talking about laminar flow, I mean, reducing the drag over a surface, you know, on wing surface, oh, yeah. uh, and the use of uh, uh, oh, yeah. perforations in the wings right, with right, uh, right. positive I remember uh, that pressure, part too. Uh, creating a boundary layer, lowering mm-hmm. resistance, you know. Yep. Uh, I, in fact, I dragged along with me. I left in the car. No, I didn't. It's right here. Uh, this book, you know, Paul de Violet's uh, oh, Secrets yeah. of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, which uh, uh, I have to tell you, uh, I've, I've, I've I done the first. I referenced one of his short papers. This was before this book came out. Is this uh, David Childress? Is it uh, Adventures Unlimited? Uh, Bear. Oh, okay. Bear. 
uh, Rochester, Vermont. But it's a it's a, ve- a very tough read. I mean, it's a lot of science, a lot of physics, and of course, not being a physicist, I keep reading over and over and over yeah. trying to understand. That's what I did with intercept but don't shoot. Yeah, and that's what I, did I don't with think you. I ever right. finished it because it was so. Well, I did, and you know, yeah. and then I put it aside gotta, for a while. Got to pick my, it up again, right? And then picking up this book, and, and he goes, the whole front part is T. Townsend Brown, right? Right, and it's like. Uh, there was a whole lot more to T. Townsend Brown than I knew. In, in yeah, a whole lot more than, surprisingly Ooh. enough, the one of the founders of NICAP. <laughs> what yeah. does that, how does that connect? Yeah, I think, but uh, his science, Bill, I mean. Bill had a lot of information on Brown because he interviewed him. He went out to, Did he, he? he had retired to Catalina Island in his later years. Bill Moore tracked him down, went out there and interviewed him extensively for a book that he never did. I don't think I have any of the Townsend Brown stuff. I think somebody else bought that well, off. Well, like his but daughter gonna, runs a website a now. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you got to go look it up. Look they up lived t- in Avalon, him, him and yeah, his wife, for yeah. the last few years. He was of his quite life. a remarkable character. It turns yeah. out he was also uh, at Intel uh, op- you know, operations he was part of uh, as well. I didn't know that, but it's not, a surpri- not in the least surprising. Yeah, yeah, the whole lot. Anyway, you know, again, uh, who pointed this, me in this direction? Mr. Mike, Mike Younger, yeah. who pointed me to look at Tesla more, who gave me two books of Tesla's patents as a gift, Mike Younger. I got to stop and say something I was thinking about earlier. The first thing that people think of, a lot of people is like, oh, government person, disinformation, they're trying to screw with you. They're... I actually think that a few of these people, while screwing with you in some way, they actually also want to help. Absolutely true. I can tell you that. I, mean, I know they do want to help. And you I know, know and I know Mike was one of those. Yeah. No matter what others. you think of there his message, others. you know. Yeah, there are yeah. others. And I've met quite a few that want to help, and they don't tell you they want to help. No. And they don't say, I'm going to help you with this. Right. But you they gotta, keep you coming back to you with stuff that bears fruit. And you got to be savvy. And yeah, and that it. too. If you're stupid, they drop you. They drop you. Like and I think thing. I've been dropped a while back now because I didn't react in the way, or I, I didn't follow up on stuff. Well, it depends. What's look? It only happens in waves and in periods, and there's no that's regular, true. There's no peri- regular periodicity. Periodicity. That, that to too, it. and also you have to act when you're going to act. That's right. another thing I found out about these people. It's like exactly you do it now. Well, because or forget it, it. It is an operation, <laughs> and the operation yeah. has has uh, you know real parameters of time. Right, and I, and I'll give you an example. When you go meet them, they're there at the second that the clock ticks to that second. Yeah, that's the attitude. That's right. It's frightening, actually. Right. And it's sort. It's sort. Yeah. And don't it's be It's sort late. of frightening. Right. And I learned very early on to get there early, yeah. so that I wouldn't be late. Yeah. Um. It's 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 a uh, it's an unforgiving game. But the most interesting one you've ever been involved with. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. It but certainly yeah, it is. is run with military, yeah. a military, a military regard for importance of the and, mission or and whatever the other you're thing doing. Is when you're with that sort of person at a meeting, yeah, uh, start paying attention to what's happening around you for about 24 hours before and 24 hours after. Yeah, yeah. Look yeah. around you. Notice what's going on. That's notice, why I started notice, getting to things notice. early. Yeah. And you'd look, and Notice. if they weren't very good, sometimes you'd see something. Yeah. And if they were good, maybe you were supposed to see that. But exactly. Anyway. But that's again, you want to notice anyway. Yeah. See what, what? Okay. What? 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 You know, which theater are we in today? You know, <laughs> what's the showing? Well, this is way too much, Richard. I don't think we should be saying any of this stuff. 
Well, uh, you know, uh, who cares? It's like, it used uh, to scare me saying this stuff, and it doesn't anymore. I don't know why that is. You see, this, it's not important, or my skin got thicker. Or both. I don't know. Well, you know, it's sort of like uh, nothing bad has happened to you yet. Oh, no, that's the other thing. It's like people say, aren't you scared? It's like, yeah, I was horribly paranoid. Mike got me paranoid as hell. You remember that period where yeah. I was... Do you want to answer your phone? I'll talk a little bit. That period where I was... Um, totally freaked out for like a year maybe two years where i thought richard's taking his phone call um i thought people were listening to my phone calls and maybe they were people were opening my mail yes they were because i could tell because uh they were only from certain people where the mail wouldn't get there or is ripped to shreds or it was obviously opened um that went on for a few months um uh, I got phone calls over and over again, all hours of the day and night where the phone would just ring. I'd pick it up and there'd be no nobody there. And so I'd just hang it up. And then the phone would ring again and I'd pick it up and there'd be nobody there. And then finally I just stopped answering it. And the phone would ring all hours of the day and night. Like I'd get 25 calls in a row. Um, and I wouldn't pick up the phone. And finally it would stop. So it got to the point where it started, when the phone would start ringing, I'd leave the house. Or somebody would pull up front and, and I'd see them take a picture of the house and drive away. Or in the most famous uh, paranoia-inducing, I thought my upstairs neighbor was following me around the house upstairs. Oh, here we go. I, I remember once, my, and it was just he was just my landlord. But I remember one time at like four or three or four in the morning, I was walking around the apartment, which was like a shotgun, very long apartment with with rooms going off from it. But every room I went into for about fifteen or twenty minutes, I could hear footsteps above me doing the exact same thing. That scared the crap out of me. And I, I went into, instead of yelling, I went into my computer screen and in huge font letters I wrote, why are you doing this? And then after I did that and, is it going? I think, yeah. yeah. After I did that and I got up and walked around, it stopped. And that freaked me out. That would freak me out. That, that would definitely freak me out. <laughs> so, did I ever tell you that happened? No, no. That was that was a very strange one. That is a strange and one. And I don't know, because if it was happening, if I was freaked out and I was imagining it, I don't know. But or that co- was like... Co-creating the, it or yeah, something? Yeah, that was some... the depth of the paranoia. Yeah. I was like yeah. Mel Gibson and conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. worse well, we, than that. We went through those phases. I mean, there was, yeah. you know... And then I decided... People say, how do you get out of that? I think because I decided to stop being scared because it was tiring. Yeah. And just, you finally just go, fuck it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, if nothing's happened to me, so what should I be scared yeah, of? Right, exactly. And right. I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm not, you right. know, downloading child pornography. I'm not selling drugs. I'm not taking drugs. I'm but, yeah. pretty clean, so what am I scared of? Well, I often wonder for the exercise to see how well you could produce that kind of paranoia in somebody. Oh, uh, it worked real well. Dean Radin said you can make somebody paranoid in minutes, and yeah. he was right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was sort of like, I remember one time uh, Younger saying, you know, he said they would, he and the other Mike, the one who looked like Dolph Lundgren, were talking about <laughs> how easy it would be to start a religion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, about how easy it is to manipulate uh, people. Strange. L. Ron Hubbard was in the Navy, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite to the degree he saw exactly. himself. I know, and, I know. Uh, you know, and he had that, that boat and he cruised around. And he yeah. Was a, no, he, he was in Naval Reserve, I think, for a while, and he really imprinted on that. Yeah. I think he tried to kind of glorify it and make it much more than it was. Yeah. But he found a good way to make some money, I must Hal say. Hal Putoff was in naval intelligence. So. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Um, and he's still looking for answers. So, 
Well, that, that, that's, that's the impression I was going to say I, I get, too, is that they're still looking for answers. They have, they have a kind of a, a lay of the land that there's this going on and that going on and <laughs> this going on. But as far as being in any kind of... Uh, they got a uh, lot clearer superior, picture, but th- not of the source. Right. They don't. That's what they want. They don't. What do we all want? They don't. I, I mean, maybe, maybe there, at some level there is, but nobody that I've talked to is privy to that level. That made, Anyway, they may be, but they sure wouldn't let me know. Uh, but I have gotten a lot from, you know, like guys who worked in, uh, on, on aerospace projects uh, for Lockheed and for Northrop and for, uh, uh, oh, I can name of five or six companies uh, that I've talked to people that have worked on different projects for them, you know. And you sure get a picture of the fact that they, they're often asked to do jobs for a specific thing, right, to create something. And then one day somebody shows up, puts it in a box, says thank you very much, and leaves with it. And that's the last, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't. You never hear any more questions about that piece of equipment again. You're not. You know. You, you don't know what it's for. You, know, yeah. you had some ideas of what it was capable yeah. of. Yeah. You didn't even know where the, some of the ingredients came from. They brought yeah. them to you. All, and, that, all that's been compartmentalized. And, yeah. But they need that stuff. So it's further up, five steps up the chain. Somebody knows what two went together. And you see, that's why I believe that maybe we we are. I mean, as far as like uh, aeroforms, you know. Uh, I, I, I do believe it's quite quite reasonable to believe that we're already traveling in outer space or you know in another way to the moon yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. I think it's quite reasonable. I don't think that is extraordinary at all. I think they may be able to do that, for, you know, with alternate kind of propulsions going back maybe as far as the 30s. I'm not not our government necessarily, but I mean humans. Yeah, you know, some group when Brown started his experiments. And yeah, I mean, I think the uh, you know in Marconi and those people. I think yeah. there's a Tesla for that matter. Tesla, you know, it's like we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how they were going. I'm going to, have to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, because you need to get up, and cigarette needs to get up. And yeah. So um, we'll, we'll give it a, let's like wrap five this, more minutes. Yeah. Let, uh, let's let's see if we can wrap this up somewhere. Uh, 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 st- staying with the Mike Younger related topic here. Um, I know that you recently had a an email from someone who claimed to have been part of Com Twelve. Yeah. Right, that that uh, posted uh, on your. Yeah, on your forum with an uh, with a inactive email return address. Yeah, on it. Black Crow over America, right? Yeah. What's the guy's name? And yeah. he really the first contact was to complain about the possibility of you and I making writing a critical book about Mike Younger. Yeah, which had it, if you've been listening to this program or anything we've ever said in the past, we've never said anything. Cri- well, we've never said anything critical about his motives or how he treated us. Right. Well, we we we, we said he's not what he appeared to be. You right, know. exactly. And uh, so, yeah. And what was the text, the, the gist of that uh, of that statement? That, do you remember as Black Crow said on, on that, that on the email? I said I've never said anything really against him. He said it's the people you hang out with. Don't you hang out with people that say things? That was the gist of what he said. And, and I never he, answered him. I said, look, I mean, if there's a problem, too bad. Well, to me, it's like it's still about, up there. If you want to look, it's on. I can't remember what uh, show with it's Norio, on. Something with Norio. Uh, that it was on the Norio program, right? Because I think he obviously was talking about because Norio. Norio and I brought up Mike. Probably it was Norio and me he was talking about because yeah. we learned to would would have any association with beside you with directly yeah you, you know, yeah that would discuss maybe Melinda Leslie have you discussed it on the show with her no I haven't right, talked so to her in years it seemed to me like he was suggesting that what you and I were thinking about doing writing a book right yeah. on it would be taking a cheap shot at a guy who as he said. Uh, did some, got some righteous stuff out there for us, is how they put it. And yeah, it's kind of quasi something like that. Yeah, he did a good job for us, and you're trying to cut him down. It's like that has nothing to do with what our point of view is or what we've said about him. 
It sure does. Ever. Uh, and as you know, I, I kind of reacted strongly to yeah. that. Uh, Unless you're either one, paranoid, a hair trigger, or two, you're trying to make people think you're paranoid with right. a hair trigger. Yeah. Uh, really, he, he peeped his head out and then, of course, disconnected the uh, email, and so you can't respond. With, it's like... But I left it, I left it up. Yeah. I'm not, what am I going to do? Erase it because I don't like... No, no, but I mean, it's interesting. Like, uh, the conversation does not continue. No. Period. No. He, he made his... He, came, he, he jumped out of the closet or in his yeah. costume, Black Robe yeah. America. Yeah. He posted something. He jumped back in the costume, unplugged the phone, and disappeared. Yeah. Went down a rabbit hole again. Right? Um, Which, granted, anybody can do. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But why did they bother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, why bother bringing it up? I mean, because like, that that was we probably sure... five less than five minutes of what Nori and I talked about on that show. Yeah, very interesting. So obviously, whoever it was listened to it and decided to react to it, or told somebody, and they said, "Okay, put this on there." So you know, the, 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 as far as the direction we're talking about, uh, there, these are so many discrete areas. Like you know, when I first got in the UFO field and said, oh, "I'm into all the projects." You know, I thought I was going to a little boutique, you know, UFOs, the UFO boutique. You know, and you kind of, it's like you walk through the doors and you realize you're in Walmart. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're not in Walmart. What you're in is that warehouse at the end. Of- <laughs> yeah, you're in the warehouse. Thir- the- warehouse 13 or the warehouse at the end of, end of uh, Indiana Jones. Which inspired Warehouse 13. Yeah. You know, you know the premise of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a figurative thing, but I, I think that is a good no, it- figurative, uh, uh, you know, image for the range of possibilities and you know when you talk about the government you're like what the hell are you talking about yeah you know what know. do you what do you think spielberg was doing with that is he telling you that there's a warehouse somewhere with all these secrets in it <laughs> no. if, we, if we could just find it yeah i think it's uh, down on the end of fourth street yeah you know behind a holographic screen he's talking about an idea yes exactly and I think that's what the last Indiana Jones thing was talking about, an idea. Remember who he said, when they said, where are they from? And he said, there's from the space in between the spaces. In the space in between the spaces. <laughs> in between the time and in between yeah. the space, yeah. which is the best we can say with. And that floored me when I heard that in the movie. I said, what? <laughs> it's gotten into Spielberg movies now? Yeah. I don't know if I'm happy about that or not, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think of the way we we can now converse to a rather large audience on on this topic, for instance, with a, a a huge amount of people who have been around long enough, been through enough of reading, understanding, listening, everything else that we 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 have uh, changed the conversation, expand the conversation tremendously. We're not where we were twenty years ago, Greg. You know, we're not where we were when when Lazar was uh, no. fresh on the horizon and abductions were fresh. We're not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. And there what, has been kind of a progressive. Uh, yeah. uh, what embryonic process. state are we in now? Right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we're totally embryonic. But I'm saying it does evolve. See, yeah, of course, one's thinking one's thinking evolves. Yeah. One's uh, you know has the to. The mistake evolve. is to think you've gotten finished evolving. Yeah, or if you've gotten anywhere at all. <laughs> yeah, or that too. It's like, oh, I've got this now. I, you because if this? you're listening and you're honest with yourself, you'll notice when somebody comes and kicks the chair out from under you yeah. or one of the legs of the chair out. Instead of going, no, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to wrap this up except to say that on the issue of Mike Younger, what I, I think we, what you and I, we got quite a lot from him in terms of understanding uh, 
what a certain kind of game and how it's played. Yeah. Right. And understanding and that we've there talked are, probably about like a couple of percent of what went on. Yeah. But I think I think that relationship helped in general, uh, and you you're instrumental this also with Bill Moore. It helped peel back something which was totally not seen or recognized. Yeah. And well, that's that is, what Bill Moore did while he was slapping right. people saying it. And that's like where he was I giving them a spanking while he did it, which is why people didn't want to listen. Right. And that's the way I felt when I got involved with Younger. And, and also, he probably shouldn't have had as nasty of a spanking, but go ahead. Yeah. He could be a little churlish like that. But, uh, and he admitted uh, it, too. Yeah. He was a little churlish, a little arrogant. Um, but... If I felt in some way a little bit like Mike Younger, like you know, Don was so like Rich, you know, watch where you, and he was right to say this. Watch where you, you know those guys. Watch out! It's a bunch of bullshit. You know, you just get sucked into some. I said, I know, buddy. That's why I'm talking to you. That's why I'm coming back and telling, sharing you whatever. Yeah. Again, you and Vicky, you know, think about it and I share that. But wherever this is going, I tell you, I'm taking a ride. We'll find out where it goes. Mm-hmm. Right? We'll find out where it goes. But uh, I'm going to take the ride. I'm not asking you to. I'm taking the ride. Right? Yeah. Is he where it goes? Well, he asked you to do it, you know. Well, Vicky initially asked me, you know. And well, then yeah, but came then, back and started sharing some of the stuff. Yeah, they, they, they said that's BS and, and those are just... Well, they were interested in some of the information, but at the same time we're going, but, you know, watch out. Just always a watch out. You know, that yeah. guy, watch out, watch out. Yeah. Well, but, can, you know, can you they imagine how bad they felt after being there in Vegas in 89 and then this comes up a couple years later? Well, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, and they were saying, Rich, you're new to this field and they were right. You watch out. You know, you're yeah. going to get taken for a ride. I said, well, I am going to get taken for a ride, but guess what? I'm volunteering to get taken for a ride yes, because exactly. I have a goal. Yeah. I have a goal. Uh, the ride, uh, I want to see who's paying for the ride. Yeah. Uh, how's that being paid for? What's, you know. And when you get in the middle of it, you realize that the ride is a little hairier than you thought it might be in some places. And that was very valuable. Yeah. And it also taught me how to go looking for information. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot about how to go looking for information. Uh, and I don't mean FOIA. I mean, no, no, I mean, no. Yeah. No, this is human right. mostly. Human and how to, how to <laughs> talk to people. Yeah. Right? And uh, how to judge their reactions, how to judge what they're saying. Yeah. And, you know, you learn as much from what, when you bring up a subject uh, about what somebody refuses to say or, or a quick change of direction they take. Yeah. Uh, as you get to know a particular source and you talk to them, yeah. uh, you get really sensitive to what they don't want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, where they want to, you can tell when they're shifting. Yeah. You can almost see it in the eyes, too, a shift away exactly. from where you were going, you know. And I always go, okay, what are they shifting away from? Yeah. I'm going to go look at that harder. As you're saying that, I'm thinking, and sometimes, if they're really good. You got to gauge that, too. You got to gauge that. Are are you being shifted away? I mean, and and you're continually doing a number on yourself, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, mean, is that's, this that's, guy steering me this way because he wants to, he doesn't want to talk about it, or is he steering me this way? Or, But the thing is that it's it's very strange that what you get out of it is hindsight in hindsight, it's never when you're at the thing. Mm-hmm. It's always the next day or mm-hmm. sometimes 10 years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus, that guy was being so helpful. You know, and I didn't even know it. But the f- fact that you could sit there and listen and take it all in, and then maybe if you're smart, as soon as you get home, <laughs> write it all down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that you remember it, and then 10 years later, I've, I'm prob- I've probably missed so many things I did, just from some, not remembering everything. Right, some things I wrote down and so many things I did not. You know, I yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Uh, but there is enough there for you were trying to wrap it up. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I, sorry. I, I, wrap it in. I will let you. I, I will let you wrap it. Up. I'll just say this. Uh, you know, we've talked about doing this in my younger book, and I've talked to uh, this other guy about us doing a joint book on on our take on where the UFO field is right now, and going back to the beginning and seeing how the conversation was shaped. But that becomes a very scholarly book, and it's not not one that I think I want to write right now. No. Uh, well, first of all, if if I'm going to write a book right now, uh, I'll tell you something. Uh, uh, I'm looking for a book that's going to get published. Yeah. And get sold. Well, you know, uh, with, you're, you or you and I or you and the sky are going to have to do it ourselves, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, the but thing let, is, but I do the, have, I but do the have thing one is, hook. The people that want it, the, the, there's an audience that wants to read it. Well, there's another hook, too. I mean, uh, uh, several publishers told me, well, Rich, if you could tie it in with, you know, with your previous celebrity, you know, like from yeah, soap star yeah, to spy yeah, or something yeah, like that, yeah. he says, those big houses will take. You know, if it's, if it's interesting enough, yeah. you know, because that there's always a market for those kind yeah. of. Even if you, you know, yeah, yeah, based exactly. on a true story, you uh, gotta you gotta spoon feed it with some sugar. Yeah, and and I think and a broad audience, you get a much broader audience, and actually might make some money. I'm tired of working for nothing, you know, yeah. and I'm 65. You know, yeah. uh, if I write a book, it's, it's it's like I'm not doing it for free. Yeah, you know, I I I'm gonna have to make it pay. You know, I so. Uh, whatever book I do, which is going to tell some my take on a lot of things, is still yeah. going to be somewhat commercial. Yeah. Well, it know? sounds like something you might have to do more by yourself. Well, I don't and know. And it I, might I, have something more to do with your take personally, and not you know what I might think about it, or this uh, your other writing partner might think about it. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I, I have a path. I'll talk to you about it off the air for uh, for uh, both aspects of it. I think would work really well. All right. Uh, first of all, you know, if, if one because I'd love to do it. I mean, I'd still love to do it. See, I, if I sent you that sells, intro that you yeah, said you liked. I did. I liked it a lot. If 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 the first book sells, if, if using you know using the hook of you know you know old yeah. soap opera, yeah, so, so, yeah. If that okay. one gets out there and it's broad enough and interesting enough. Well, then the next book will have a much easier time right, getting out. And right. then you can get a little more hardcore, a little bit deeper into your realistic mm-hmm. viewpoint. Yeah. I'm thinking more like that, you know. Right. And uh, I always see writing as rewriting. And I always see writing also uh, can be very productive in a partnership. You know, the, the, the way... Yeah. I have do, never really written with anybody else, except um, for a couple of screenplays. Yeah, I've done screenplays. And sometimes if the relationship's good, it really helps it. You right. Know? So anyway, uh, guys, I guess that we'll <laughs> wrap it up. Uh, you know, I've got to head on down the road and... Be up at 5 a.m. Uh, did we talk about anything interesting tonight? Uh, we, we this is probably my, I can feel my head kind of going boom, boom. <laughs> so I think we did talk. There was stuff on this show that I never get to talk about, really. And every once in a while that happens. And I, I really like it when somebody is on the show and says, wow, I never got to talk about that before. Yeah. Now I'm getting that feeling. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. We'll know when we play it back. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, uh, you may be lucky you heard it here. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I'm, I'm going to try not to edit. You know. Yeah. Now, now I'm trying to find something uh, uh, that. What, what would you like to hear? Would you like to hear some certain kind of music that I might have? Um, how about uh, do you have um, a flying purple people leader? Oh, Skyman. Yeah, let me see if I have that. Skyman. Yes, I do. You mean this one? That one? Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, thanks so much, Richard. Well, it was fun. And uh, 
we always have more to talk about. So <laughs> yeah. you'll be back in another few months or yeah, something, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, a few months might be a good time because right now there's a new push going on here. It's oh, good. Trying to rip another thing back. Well, maybe we'll both be doing something. Maybe we'll be doing something together by then. I don't know. We'll yeah. have some more to talk about or nor to say stay tuned. So you stay tuned. Next week is um, another Richard, Richard Senate. Um, and then uh, within a couple of weeks, and even uh, probably a uh, paranormal researcher that many of you might know. Um, and I'm going to keep that. I've, I've mentioned it before, but I guess I'll keep that in abeyance right now. Uh, Rich, Rich knows him. He's talked to him. Well, this is the month of Richards, or you might say the month of the dicks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll be here next week. Thanks so much for listening, and hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Ready Mysterioso, we'll see you next week. Sunday from 8 to 10 p.m. PST. Thank you.